ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Talk Apple podcast, where finally, finally, I am joined by my co-host, Phil, the Prince of Pleasure. He's back. How you going, mate? Podcast! Fuck yeah! <laughs> Coming again to do a motherfucking podcast! Finally! I, I am doing great. You see, I fell down a Horus Heresy hole. Did you? That is always a, a, a really tricky, slippery uh, hole to fall down. So I've, I've been doing nothing but painting dick bikes since, since February or March. Are these long, slender, white dick bikes? Long, slender, <laughs> bulbous at the end, white dick bikes. Huh? Actually, they've got red markings on the tip. Oh, splendid. They, I've actually been following that, Phil. They've looked really pretty. A lot of hobbies. So you're, you're self-employed furloughed, aren't you, during this period? It's a bizarre one, hey? So um, I do a bit of work every now and again, but I do get the self-employed furlough because my income has been massively adversely affected. So, yeah, it's a funny one, really. I do maybe like one hearing every week or two weeks. Yeah, okay. So the courts are sort of doing things occasionally. They're doing bits and bobs by telephone. And um, you can't do anything face-to-face yet. They've only just started doing some bits face-to-face in... um, in the old Bailey, in the Cardiff Crown Court, and that's for the most serious and of serious cases. Everything else is just long grass. So all the trials I had for the coming weeks have all been adjourned to fuck knows when. Anything family related has been adjourned to fuck knows when. It's just just it's is what it is. Time. But the most important thing about this podcast, listeners, is that Phil and I have done a really interesting reverse on the hair variety that we've got going on <laughs> i've got an enormous and, and you know we'll have to describe this in detail for the listeners because they can't see us which is the great thing about podcasts i've got a fantastic handlebar moustache big beard long hair and you've gone kind of the other way you've gone to the slick kind of look haven't you Phil? Mm. well but maybe if, maybe if we do it this round i'll describe you tom and then you can okay you can describe me describe me go on then so i think i think imagine tom as some kind of um Victorian gentleman, you know, burling down the street, twizzling his moustache, he's got a cane, top hat as well. Maybe he's up to some kind of nefarious scheme. And in fact, he's twizzling his moustache as, as I say this. Um, the beard, however, slightly unkempt. Maybe he's spent a few nights with, uh, with the wrong kind of lady of the night and it's caught up with him or he's recovering from a three-day bender with uh, his friends down at the, the gentleman's club. But there you go, that, that's Tom. And actually his hair, he tells me that he got one of the last haircuts in London. So he's pulled a blinder there. It's looking good, isn't it? It's a very nice sweep to what I think must be your left because the camera's reversed on Zoom. No, it's my right, it's my right. Well, there you go. No, he, Tom, Tom is looking good. The lockdown, uh, lockdown chic suits him. Well, Phil is, uh, you know, more, he's gone more down the action hero Vin Diesel style, I would say. Um, <laughs> he, he's gone for the full shave. You know, he is ready to uh, batter down that door, break through a glass window. But also, you know, he'll, he'll move through that glass window and then he'll, he'll just calmly sit down on a seat and uh, squeak his glass of champagne and maybe talk to a nice lady opposite him. He's gone suave as well. So I think, I think that's what I, you know, Phil's haircut, <laughs> that's what, what it brings to me. He's, he's your epitomizing action hero. Well, thank you very much, Tom. See, I, I committed to the short hair very early on. It was week two of lockdown. I was saying with my partner, George, I was like, look, I just, I think I need to shave it. I think I need to shave it. Shave it's a hard it. decision for a guy in his 
early 30s. But yeah, it's a guy for <laughs> decision for his guy's early 30s, isn't it? Uh, yep, yeah, 33. And, you know, but I've always thought the hair was going a bit bald or thinning. But actually... No, it's, it's looking good. It's looking it's good. good head of hair. Well, no, still some, some hair self-esteem. I think it's always been quite thin, but um, yeah, it was nice actually, very freeing. And then immediately after that, I got coronavirus. So yeah. and you were man down. Make of that what you will. I don't know. Well done for surviving, mate. I'm I'm pleased that you're still with us. And that's you know one of the reasons that Phil's not been on um, the the plethora of race reviews that we've done so far, listeners. But today, Phil, busy. We're gonna go and talk about the flings, the halflings, probably the most important race in the Blood Bowl universe. Would you agree? Probably the most OP race in the Blood Bowl universe. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think we'll open it. Um, and listeners, you know, off the bat, I'll just uh, give you a quick breakdown. We're going to do the general um, format of what we've done before, where we're going to talk uh, through the roster, through the stars, really dive into that. Uh, and then we're going to come and talk about tactics and, and go through all the tactics of the halflings. Not many of them, but there are some tactics. Uh, and then we'll talk about uh, league builds and how you develop your players in the league and uh, how you start your team off as well and then, and then go through that. And then have a look at tournaments where Phil has really excelled. And I want to just bring us back to that at the start, Phil. I mean, you actually won an event with halflings. We haven't been able to speak about it because you were ill with coronavirus. You won the Super Bowl with halflings. How does it feel? I mean, it, it was incredible. It still feels incredible. It feels like a dream. But yeah, it was win the tournament, win best painted, win most touchdowns, win most casualties, win the Stunty Cup. It was a five for. It was. It was literally it a clean sweep. Pardon? Is that, has it ever been done before in the history of NAF? I don't think it has. I was asking the questions and, you know, coronavirus has made it as unfortunately, you know, drawn a shadow over your achievement because people sort of stopped talking about it. But I don't think it has. I was en route to be P1 halfling player in the world, both in regular rankings and glico rankings. And then coronavirus came along and it's just put the kibosh in all of it. I don't even remember how to play halflings anymore. You're going to have to do another year of the fling when this is all done. 2021 is the next year of the fling. <laughs> it's, it's a bit like that, that um, is it a Japanese proverb or saying? Like, if you do anything for 10,000 hours, then you become a master. And, and I definitely felt like playing halflings for, for the whole year, every tournament, every game, every league, contributed at least to some form of know-how, we hope. <laughs> but yeah, listeners, as many of you will know, Flings are, until the snotlings are dropped, are probably by far and away, statistically speaking, looking at their roster, the worst team in Blood Bowl with a standard strength to across the board. The worst tournament team, probably. Say again? I think certainly the worst tournament team. Possibly in league, ogres are worse, depending on the length of the league. But certainly tournament play, half loops get a pretty shit deal. <laughs> and they are, you know, yeah, they're definitely down there in that bottom tier stunty uh, position, aren't they? And we will, but we will, Phil, delve into tactics and how to make the best of a worst thing. But this isn't going to be a podcast. And Phil, you've not, you, you weren't privy, unfortunately, when you were manned down with coronavirus early on. I did, uh, The Dark Elves was one of the first race reviews we went through, where we basically spent three hours extolling, you know, basically play Dark Elves. It's easy mode. You know, a bag of sand could win with Dark Elves. Literally, it's such an easy team to play. You just win by turning up. Halflings, Definitely not. They're the opposite end of the spectrum. So off the bat, listeners, you've got to be a really advanced player to get anywhere with it. Or, and I'd say this off the bat, Phil, and it's worth having a discussion with you because I've spoken to the other listeners about it. The great thing about Blood Bowl is it doesn't make any um, excuses for being unbalanced. It's different to, you know, your 40Ks, 
your Age of Sigmars, your other Games Workshop games, where Games Workshop have always said, and I, you know, I'd push it back to you with the Snotlings, for example, they literally said in the Warhammer community, these guys are shit. Do not take, you know, that's the point of them. But you can still have fun. That's the great thing about Blood Bowl, is it's not attempting to be balanced. If you want to win, take Wood Elves. If you don't want to necessarily win, but have fun, you can take Halflings and still enjoy the game. And that's what's great about it. Absolutely. And um, it, it's a game which is made to be unbalanced, isn't it? Which is fantastic. Because then you've got the opportunity then to learn new tricks and skills, challenge yourself. And certainly, as, as you've um, experienced before, when you go to tournaments and you take an underpowered team, and then you get to fucking, you know, do somebody who's got wood elves or dark elves or whatever else and turn them over. And you're like, that's Too delicious. Fantastic. <laughs> like when, you, when, when we first met and you took Morgan Thorg, in what was it was it an underworld game? team underworld team with morgan thorg and you love you nearly fucking beat my dark elves like i you... did <laughs> Morg! Morg! <laughs> it's just so much fun isn't it just bring it bringing that uh that to the party and, the, and yeah definitely the halflings do that um right um listeners and i'll ask one more thing of phil before we dive straight into the roster um, and that's, um, you know, the spike mags. And, and actually, in this situation, I haven't got the spike mag to hand, sadly, but Phil does. So we're going to use that as a framework when we run through the roster. Issue now. number five of Spike Magazine, the halfling issue. Awesome. And what do you think of the spike mags, Phil? I ask all my lists, all the guests who come on, and it'd be interested to get the co-host's opinion, because I think Games Workshop, the way they're taking the game is awesome. The spike mags are just so, you know, full of vibrance and life and cartoonism. And that's what we love about Bubble, isn't it? I'm not going to mince my words. They're fucking brilliant, and people who don't like them just simply hate fun. Yeah, and they can fuck off and die, to be Absolutely. honest. Absolutely. Like, these magazines are brilliant. Like, people go, oh, Games Workshop spreading out their rules and all these different books. I mean, like, look, we all knew what we signed up for when we started doing this ridiculous hobby in the first place. And they don't take the piss that much. The Spike magazines are quite cheap. They're good production. They're entertaining, you know, and... It's the way it's got to be for a specialist game, you know. You can't expect them just to give you everything in one book for this. So, yeah. Brilliant. I agree. People who don't like Spike Mags can fuck off and get coronavirus. No, that's too far. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, mate. Don't get coronavirus, everybody. Yeah. Stay safe. Do all Stay that safe. stuff. Don't fumble. <laughs> yeah. Right, mate. Let's dive into the roster. Um, we'll go through the uh, the general players first, like the new players, because we've actually had a chat, listeners, about the Halflings when they first came out. But this will be a standalone. So you're going to get double for your money. You're going to get Phil and I chatting about the Halflings yet again. And actually, when we last spoke about them, I think we probably had different opinions. So it's good to go through it again. Let, so, what's the first so player on the roster, mate? Our, our views will have changed. Since. They will, dramatically, which is interesting. Absolutely. So we've got, we've got three different Halfling proper players. And then, of course, we've got the Tree Men. So what's the first halfling proper player? So if we start off with your general halfling hopeful, that's your 0 to 16 player on the team. Um, halfling stats generally are 5, 2, 3, 6. So movement 5, strength 2, agility 3, AB 6. And then skills are dodge, right stuff and stunty, which is the same as a goblin in terms of skills. They have agility access and then they only get uh, general strength or passing on a double. But they're only 30k. Only 30k. Indeed they are. So that, that was what the halfling roster used to be made of uh, exclusively, just halflings and then your tree men. And we'll do the tree men now and then we'll go on to the new positionals. Oh, the new, well, they're not new anymore, but the, uh, the latest ones. Um, the tree men, 120k, move to strength six, agility one, armor value 10. 
Then they have Mighty Blow, which is standard for a big guy. Stand Firm. Strong Arm, which of course helps them with throwing teammates. Take Root, Thick Skull, Throw Teammate and Timber. which is That's an addition, player. isn't it? Indeed, that's new, this edition. Um, they get strength access on a normal and then double on, um, they get general agility or passing. So then you can take your leap tree if you so wished. Aha! So that's like, as I said, they, that used to be the roster, re-rolls at 60,000 apiece. Well, and that's the thing. So firstly, the halflings, you know, one of the problems with them for me is that they are probably the shittest stunty player because if you compare them to goblins, they're slower and not as tough because goblins are movement six and armor seven. And then if you compare them to snotlings who are less tough, they've got the titchy kind of benefit, I would say. So mm -hmm. straight off the bat, halflings have a problem in that halflings are truly, truly dreadful blood pool players. And if we look at the cost as well, a goblin player is what, 40k? Yeah. So for 10,000, a goblin is getting a movement pip and an armor value pip over a halfling. They are much, much better, aren't they? Yeah, they're, 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 goblins are great players. Like you can quite happily do the old goblin pinball in and around the cage or when you just put them up in people's grills and they'll probably survive. Halfling, you know, they, they die. They die quick and they die easy. But then actually when you compare the, um, the tree man to the troll, that's quite an interesting comparison because they're only 10K more, the tree man. Mm -hmm. um, obviously a hell of a lot slower with that movement too. And, um, and we'll discuss a bit more take root is both good and bad, but probably one of the worst nega traits and that it takes your big guy out for the whole of the drive. Mm. And then no. strength six and armor 10 and all those bits. Exactly, the only strength six natural roster player. Um, the only, one of the only armor value 10 players. He is, say. yeah. What do you say about Treeman and Trolls and their respective roles in a team? Do they, do they fill a similar role? Yeah, I think they probably do. I think that's why it's interesting to compare them because for me, actually, really stupid is actually a hell of a lot worse because he loses his tackle zones if he fails it. He needs a babysitter at all times. Um, and then the tree man has also got that strong arm um, take roots combination for the throwing teammate. Um, so he's a much better thrower. But then the halflings are worse to be thrown because obviously goblins have got uh, doom divers. So there's, yeah. it's quite a difficult debate to have. But yeah, I think the tree man fill a pretty similar role to the trolls actually with that movement too versus the movement four, but the other strengths that, you know, make them a bit better. They're not, I wouldn't say that actually, you know, talking through it now, one's better than the other. They've got strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. I think we'll, we'll try not to branch out too much into talking about <laughs> And we'll leave that to one side. Um, and then we'll talk about the new positionals because um, you've given me a very strict... Uh, itinerary of what we talk about and what order we talk about it so let's, let's not let's not ruin that tom now, sure, that you're back, now that you're back with your professional co-host as well you know <laughs> um, <laughs> so then we have the two positionals um which are your halfling catcher fifty thousand, so 20k more than a normal halfling same stats five two three six um but then they also in addition to the normal skills of dodge right stuff and stunty get catch and sprint. Ooh, sprint is awesome, isn't it? Sprint is awesome, so you can go for it up to three times. Catch means you can then, of course, re-roll failed handoffs or re-roll um, failed catches of the ball or indeed interceptions. So that's um, it's a great little player, the Harpling catcher. I think, we, I think we talked about him, actually, uh, just briefly, 
um, in the in the last podcast where we talked about the Harfens coming out. I just prefer him to have uh, short feet instead of sprint off the bat. I think that's that's just my opinion. I think he'd be more reliably quicker then. But absolutely, yeah. Um, and then we have the halfling hefty, which at the time when they were released, you and I were a bit like <laughs> ridiculous. Unbelievable, never be taken, never be taken. Anyway, 50k again, uh, five to three, but then his armor value seven. OP. Which is big. <laughs> and, and then he's got dodge, no right stuff, so you can't throw the poor bastard. But he does have fend, which means you get the extreme satisfaction of when someone hits him before he dies. You can go fend! And, and yell it obnoxiously in your opponent's face. Absolutely. Um, and then Stunty, of course, as well. Um, but they, cheeky little fellas that they are, they get access on a normal, not only to agility, but also to passing. Which is big. And then they get Gemini strength on a double. And the, um, the rationale behind that, as was told to, to me by, by Gegster, who you had on the last episode with Korn, it's to represent the halfling hefties being the more experienced, older leaders in the group and that kind of thing. And so they get access to passing, which has got some skills of that nature. More about the, the halfling quarterback role, maybe. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and it's funny that we like disparage these dudes, but you've used them to great effect across uh, both leagues and uh, tournaments, haven't you? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And we'll talk about more how to develop them in leagues and you know, how you build them into tournament builds uh, in just a sec. Before we move on to the star players, Phil, Let's quickly go over um, just a couple of little factors. So um, halflings do get an apothecary, as you'd expect. And um, I only bring that up because we've had a chat about a couple of different teams. And we will chat about the vampires, probably on another podcast, who also get an apothecary, but have regeneration. And it is a, a factor in some of these bubble teams. But they do get an apo, um, but you probably don't really use it on this team. But the other factor to talk about is the 60k reroll, which is actually quite reasonable for a Sunday team. Some of, no, Underworld have got 70k rerolls. So that 60k reroll margin is, is helpful for them. Absolutely. And of course, um, talking of re-rolls, access to the chef at 100 oh, Of course. Yeah, and we'll, we will talk actually, um, we'll talk about that maybe, where should we talk about that? Um, should we talk about that now, Phil, about the general inducements they've got? So the chef is probably the starter. That's probably a good place to go. And then we'll go into the stars. Yeah, I think so. I think for the halfling team, it's difficult to look past a chef. Of course, in league play, you're relying on your inducements. But in tournament play, I don't think I've seen a tournament which doesn't allow halfling players to roster a chef. Um, I think if, if, if um, tournaments weren't to allow halflings to roster a chef... Misers! <laughs> you'd be like, really? You, you guys are kind of hate fun. Um, but the chef, yeah, 100k, um, at the start of each half, you roll three dice every four plus, you gain a reroll and your opponent loses a reroll. OP. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. The, the Master Chef is awesome, isn't it? Um, but they have introduced a couple of extra inducements into the Halfling book, haven't they? There's one, um, isn't there like a heady brew or something? There's a couple of ones That's in right. Spike so Mag. We've got two new inducements, which I think are also available to the Ogre teams. Um, the two and the Swatnings soon to come out is one of them, isn't it? Yeah. Or is that in the Ogre Spike? I can't remember. Um, I think the Snotlings, yes, in, it's in the Ogre Spike, they say Snotlings. Yeah, that's the one, sorry. Yeah, so the Heady Brew, um, I must confess, I've never used Heady Brew and I've never used Halfling Hot Pot. But the Heady Brew, uh, Heady Brew rather, is at the start of a drive after setting up, but before the kickoff, the coach on the team with this inducement may randomly select D3 players with the stunty skill currently on the pitch, which means it doesn't affect your trees. <clears throat> For the remainder of the drive, those players gain Dauntless 
frenzy and really stupid. But that does not prohibit star players, does it? If there's a star player stunty on the pitch? No, it just says D3 players with the stunty skill. Oh, so you could get a star with that. I mean, it's random, but you could. Yeah, there's nothing in there to say it doesn't affect stars. I mean, it's, it's 40,000 gold, so it's a bit pricey. Um, and it's D3 players, so you may only get one. I just, I just can't really see why I would want, on a team where two of my players are probably going to take root anyway, leaving me with nine mobile players that I would risk up to three of them becoming really stupid. Yeah, that's a problem, isn't it? Then needing a friend to stand next to them so they can move. My team already is fucked for mobility. It's already fucked for position unless you're clever. So frenzy, I don't really want that. And dauntless, well, um, yeah, I guess it could be handy, but I'm not really going to be blitzing with some random halfling that much. So... Just take it for the lols, but not for anything particularly effective. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sadly a no from me, though. I'm not going to invest. Um, then we have the halfling hot pot, which is 60 gold pieces. And that's like the halfling equivalent of a wizard. Um, so you choose a square anywhere on the pitch at the start of any of your turns, but before any player does anything. You roll a d6. Um, on a six, the shot hits the target. On a two to a five, the shot is off target and you roll the scatter dice and then move that D3 squares in that direction. On a roll of a one, something has gone wrong. It explodes in your dugout and D3 players in the reserve box are immediately placed uh, as KOs. I mean, that's hilarious, <laughs> to be honest, but yeah. <laughs> that is hilarious. And, and then essentially it, it hits as you would expect. So um, any player, who's hit by the pot itself, is hit by a mighty blow roll, knocked down automatically, and then you do the four plus like a bomb for everybody else that are around it. Nice. But yeah, so... Yeah, bit of fun. Yeah, I, I, I would use it, I'd consider it, and maybe use it in the second half when I'm down players or there's not many people about. Just to lob it in there and have a bit of fun, really, and, and see what happens. And um, if a player on your team, the halfling team, is hit by the stew and goes down, he doesn't suffer a turnover unless he's the ball carrier. Because he's eating the stew. Well, uh, he, <laughs> might, he might be taken out entirely. But, um, <laughs> but if he survives, he'll just sit there munching happily on the stew and then be good to yeah, go, probably. Indeed. Um, but if, he, if he's knocked down by the pot itself, as in the actual pot hits him, then that's a turnover, otherwise not. Okay, well, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, well, I think that covers the inducements, doesn't it? And we can now dive into the star players. Yes, indeed. So, we've, um, I think the Halflings might have been the last team they did where they did a big, big long list of stars. Because after, yeah. after this one, they seem to cut it down. Lizards, for example, they've only got, what, six stars? And we spoke with Gegster on the last podcast about that, actually. And it's actually a little, um, it's not really a secret, really, actually, that. Um, James Workshop basically decided that they wanted to only release stars that they were then going to be able to release models for. Mm -hmm. um, which I think makes perfect sense from an IP perspective. It's slightly sad for us because we want, everyone loves more content. Um, but, you know, I can, I can see why they've done it. It makes sense. Um, but yeah, Lizardman were the next one where they only had five stars, I think, and, and kind of went off on that. That's a route. But yeah, so here we've got shed loads of stars, haven't we? Yes, indeed. So I'll take them in the order they're given in the uh, Spike magazine. 
So Puggy Bacon Breath is a classic one that will be familiar to many people who've... Uh, Staple. So he is a block dodge loner, nerves of steel, right stuff, stunty halfling. He's 140k and he's got uh, stats of 5, 3, 3, 6. So he's got plus strength, basically. Strength boost halfling with block and nerves of steel. Tidy player. Yeah, I mean, a blodger, a blodger strength three halfling is, is good. I think that 140k is potentially a little bit too expensive for him um, when I you're looking at building him to builds. I, th I think for a stunty armor value six player, you're probably right. Yeah, I think if he was more like the 100, 120k mark, he'd be better. But yeah, he's, he's a staple. He's good. Um, he's got a cool name. Um, we don't dislike him, do we? No, no, no. I've used him before. I've, he's never really done it for me. Like, he always seems to die in the most innocuous way, like trying to dodge or just being hit by somebody for the first time and then dying straight away because they get to the pals or something, you know? And it's just like, wow, what can you do? Classic. Anyway, he's decent. Um, and he's a model they haven't made a model for. A model they haven't made a model for. Yeah, no, nice. <laughs> a player they haven't made a model for. No, you're right. He's got, no, I think he's got an old Games Workshop model, actually. I think there's an old Metal 3rd or 4th edition one, I think. Yeah, I think you're probably um, right. You're thinking, I'm thinking the Halfling, he's standing, like, up straight, like, really, really Yeah, with that pointy shoulder pads. Yeah, I think that's the Puggy Bacon Breath model. So that, and that's the thing with Games Workshop going. They're like, we've got a Puggy model, so happy to keep him in. And I think that's where they're moving forward with the, with the other guys. But yeah, there is a model out there. So then, then we have, um, who's in my opinion, one of the best and a must-have in my halfling build is Deep Root Strong Branch. Oh, yes. So he's the tree star player. He's 300k, so he's pricey. He's movement two. Often people seem to think he's movement three. Um, just like in their memory, when you say, oh, I'm taking Deep Root, they're like, oh, is he movement three? I don't know if that's a hangover from a previous edition of Blood Bowl. It may be. If you're a goblin player, you just lie and be like, yep, yeah, yeah, he's three. I'm going to cheat. Four, in fact. Yeah. Four. 18. <laughs> seven, the only strength seven player except the giant in the game. Ah, yes, the sports giant. Uh, he's agility one, as you would expect. And of course, he's armor value 10. The only difference between him and a normal tree in terms of skills is he comes with block. That's pretty, that's all right, isn't it? Is massive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you can get him often. Get him with two block trees, can't you? Which is really, that, that's really my build, absolutely. And and if if we do um, uh, skills analysis on stars in terms of like a transactional basis, how much they're worth? Um, a tree is one hundred and twenty. A strength boost is what fifty k. Yeah, and then a double skill is thirty k. So really, he's two hundred k in a three hundred k star player, but he doesn't take root. And, and that's, I think, another massive thing with him. How much is not taking root worth? Well, it's fucking huge. A so lot actually, of money. I think, I think he's, he's good value, actually, Deep Root. Um, and you can build your team around him. He's a bulwark upon which the opposing side, uh, you know, the waves break and you can fuck him up. And let's talk now, Phil, before we go into all the other stars, because there's a plethora of stunty stars that are all great fun that we're going to talk about. Um, and we've had a debate before about the juxtaposition between him and Morgenthorg, um, who I personally prefer in a, in a stunty team, who's um, 430k, so he's 130k more. Um, and, and we'll go back to this in a minute, because I've got another star player to throw at you that I think you're going to be very excited about. But yeah, Morgenthorg is 430k. 
Movement six, so four, four on deep root, and that's huge for him, really mobile. Uh, strength six, so he's a bit less, he's not strength seven. Practically uh, Say again? Practically a stunty. With Practically a stunty in comparison. Uh, he's agility three and armor 10, so he's got that agility as well. And then he's block, mighty blow, thick skull, throw teammate. So he's basically a lot more mobile, still got block, and he can do some agility stuff. But it's probably that price that you struggle with, isn't it? What, for Morgan Thorpe? Yeah. I think so. You, you, you struggle to fit him in a team where actually, despite your basic player being quite cheap, you need to fit a lot in. Because if you're doing a tournament build, then you need your chef, you need your trees, you're going to want some positionals, you're going to want another star player probably as well. And if you take Morgan Thorg and two trees, well, that's already a lot of money that you're spending, you know? Because we're 430, mm. you said. 430. So he's under 30k more. Yeah. So then that, that's going to be what, 670 for Morgan Thorg and two trees. And then you, you'd probably want a reroll or two, a chef. You start running out of money a bit quickly and you need a bench for the halfling team. So if he was a bit cheaper, if he was like 50k cheaper, say, would you consider him? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a brilliant player. To, to have a mobile player like him, I mean, it, it wouldn't necessarily... I'd have to adapt my, my strategy and how I played my flings. But he's a great player and he can throw quite reliably too, can't he? Because he's AG3 and he's got strong arm. And that's interesting that you say that there, uh, Phil, because I'm trapping you in the standard lawyer forensic trap there where you've just you know, brought in my argument for me. Where I'm going to chuck another star at you now, who is the new, the new Morgan Thorg, um, I feel. He's a legendary star, Bob Bifford. Have you looked at him in any kind of detail? Yeah, so Bob Bifford is, what is he? Is he the same strength or is he? Yeah, different? I've got his stats in front of me. Don't you worry. I am prepared to the nines to Without out Bob Bifford for us, go on then. Bob Bifford. And this is the, the crucial factor is he's 380k. So he's 50k cheaper than more. He's only 80k more than... And anyone can take him. And anyone, anyone can take him. Even Kemri in the undead, which is different to more. Literally anyone can take him. Um, he is movement five, strength six, agility two, and armor 10. So great set of stats across the bat there. He's got block, break tackle, juggernaut, mighty blow, multiple block and then throw teammate and fix skull which are kind of all add-on skills but yeah he's immediately still more mobile and with that break tackle hugely more mobile than deep root and he's only 80k more so that's where i think he actually and you probably haven't considered him just because he's a very new star like he's only came in in the uh, in the ogre uh, spike i think off the top of my head i think he came in the ogre one um, but i think he actually adds a really interesting dimension to a lot of blood bowl teams purely because he's cheaper he's basically a better than more because he's cheaper 380k but yeah very strong star, I think. Yeah, um, I agree. I mean, I've got a lot of time for Bob Bifford. It'd be nice when we start seeing him on the Blood Bowl pitches because I don't think anybody will have the opportunity to use him yet on, on uh, player games. No, probably not. And it's interesting that he's got... I'm looking at his... Um, they, so they brought out a card for him as well. Yeah. Um, and if you look at him on like the Blood Bowl 2 game and other stuff, he's usually like bald and kind of usually has a leather jacket and stuff like that. But in that's the, him when he's retired. I think we're yeah. getting the, uh, in his prime player, aren't we? Well, in the Games Workshop card, he's got the Mohawk, like, uh, like Morg. So oh, I think cool. they've deliberately done it so you can use the Morg miniature to, to play him effectively. But yeah, I'm definitely, maybe, I'm going to say, maybe, um, maybe the DBL are going to rename me into Bob or Biff 
or something, something <laughs> along those lines, I think I might definitely start using this dude because I just love those big guys with the utility. But yeah, I mean, I think he could definitely do a job on the half ends. And I, th- I think with the break tackle, now while I'm, I'm maybe loathe to dodge with a big guy with break tackle on, who's a loner, but because it's always a risk, I suppose, isn't it? But um, no, definitely. Great. Has he got low? Has he got um? Sorry, has he got thick skull or anything? He doesn't. He's got thick skull, yeah. Oh, he does. So he's got thick. He's 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 literally like an ogre. He's got thick skull. Oh, he's got armor ten. He's never fucking going anywhere. Bonehead. He doesn't have bonehead, does he? No bonehead. Mm. And that's does, the thing. Say again. Does Morgan Thorpe have strong arm? No. He doesn't. Okay, fine. I've I've, I've imagined that then. But he's called the yeah. ballista. Say again. He's called the ballista, though, isn't he? I know, it's weird, isn't it? Um, and actually, uh, Morgan Thorpe used to not have throw teammate back in the day. Throw teammate was kind of added onto him later on. So he used because he used to just not be a guy you take for throw teammate, and they've added it on a bit later. I can't remember when. Um, but yeah, it's weird. I'd, I'd take Bob Bifford over Morgan Thorpe any day. Yeah, definitely. Bob Bifford is awesome. Um, I definitely think he's a player I'm going to take, and I think you could fit him into into other teams, not just halflings and stuff. But I think I can see Phil now swigging his whiskey. Cogs are wearing, hmm, Bob in a halfling team. Maybe, maybe 2021 will be the year of the fling. The second year of the fling, after all, we'll see. <laughs> I, I think he's probably going to still be too expensive for my halfling builds. Okay, fair enough. Well, maybe um, in the breaks, listeners, we'll look at him in a tournament build and see how that fits in, because maybe that'll be my tournament we build. We can try and put one together and see if we can, we can make it work with the numbers. Could we be can debate it. Right, Phil, dive into... There's a plethora of exciting, stunty, new stunty stars, aren't there? Yeah, so let, let me just go through some of the more standard ones. People will have heard of Carla Von Kill. She's essentially Zara the Slayer Light. Um, so doesn't have stab or stakes, but she's a block, dauntless, dodge, jump up, loner, Amazon woman. Um, she's 220k, she's 6438 in terms of stats. She's a brilliant player. If you've got 220k of inducements in the game, you're going to take her because she's going to be brilliant. Have you ever done the double Zara Kala um, build on Flinks or not? Uh, I mean, I can see the merit. I've never had two models which would be appropriate to do it with, actually. But, um, and I've not even painted up my Kala either. It's one of the ones I still need to add to the team. But, yeah. It's 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 a powerful build having two blodge, you know, six, four, three, eight players, isn't it? Yeah, and that's a debate again, Phil, we've had on a couple of the podcasts about um the new stars that GW bringing out. And I'm aware I keep cutting you off before you dive into the other stars, but um but this is another debate we've had, it's worth asking you as my co host to get your feelings on the matter. But talk with Lewis about um Setek and Ivan. And for me, uh, Ivan is like the new Setek. And similarly here, Carla's the new Zara. And um, it sl- actually it slightly disappoints me. Um, I'm a big GW fanboy and I love the way they've gone with it. But I feel like they should have just had the balls to go. Um, I-, I don't really see how Carla Von Kill is more IPable or anything like that. Just fucking change Zara and go, if you want to change Zara, go, cool, here's the new Zara. Or just delete her completely. And here's her new stats and do for it. And they've done the same with Ivan and... Setek and not actually deleted the player because they have both of them in the legendary stars and I just I feel like it's a little bit of a cop out from GW um, but yeah what, what, I don't know if you asked Gags to this when you spoke to him earlier but um, what is the rationale behind having Carla Von Kill instead of Zara the Slayer it's, it's to do with um, not wanting to delete things that people have used for a long why period of time change at all? say again why make the change at all yeah potentially 
Yeah, that's a question that I didn't ask him, but is, is a reasonable question. Um, it's to do with, they feel like this, like Carla is supposed to be the new Zara. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've just kind of slightly changed her cost. And um, we talked, so Lewis and I talked about, and actually uh, Gritter and I talked on the Undead one about um, reducing the cost of stars. And it's, there's a sweet spot between that kind of 150, 200K that's often not occupied. And Carla nearly, nearly fits into that. She's only just over 200K. And a lot of the stars, you know, Zara's a bit overpriced actually in some bills. You have to really struggle to fit her in. So that's, that's the thinking. Same with the Satek one where he's a little bit cheaper, got a few different skills and that's the way they've been going. But yeah, she is supposed to be the new Zara. Satek Ivan combination though, and that's quite tasty, isn't it? Can be yeah. to the double strength four blitzer is awesome. But yeah, we'll talk about that, Phil, in the tournament bill. We'll, we'll definitely have a quick chat through the double strength four dudes because it is girls, dudes, girls, dudettes. Um, it is a thing that people do. Uh, but yeah, let's dive into the stunties, shall we? The stunty stars. We've not got to the stunties yet. We're still going through the normal people. <laughs> I say normal people. The next one is tremendously overpowered. Listeners will be very familiar with this star player. She's probably the best star player in the game. I mean, except none. She's only 150k. And she's... I can't deal with this. I'm off. I'm off. I'm going. <laughs> Listeners, you know I'm talking about Willow Rosebark here. Um, she's got the broken combination of Dauntless, Thick Skull, and Sidestep. Need I say more? Sorry, you're still talking about Willow. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> Five, four, three, eight. She, she was responsible for me having my worst weekend of flings ever. She's just rubbish. <laughs> and I only took her because I painted her and I was like, I need to use her in a tournament. So I took her and she's just useless. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what everybody's bark. Morgan Thorpe we've spoken about. Now we get on to the new, um, the new players, of which they decided to give us five, because they were like, well, have five new star players. So there's Needly Veruca. I've never seen him used. Um, he's a 70k stabbing halfling, and he's essentially a tree surgeon. He's got dodge, loner, secret weapon, which, uh, why, why give him secret weapon? Other people yeah. can stab people without secret weapon. And he's probably going to die anyway. Stab, stunty, trademark stilts, which give him leap and very long legs. So he's leaping on a three plus. But let's not forget his armor value six. So all we've done is given him another way to die. <laughs> and he's five, two, three, six. Like, he could be fun. Stab's great. But like, he'll fall over in a firm breeze and he's quite high up on his stilts. So he's probably dead. Yeah, I mean, you feel like they're trying to add in, you know, what's the... Um... The goblin pogo dude is on stilts. He's trying to be, I can't remember his name, but he's supposed to be a new one of that. Um, but 70k for a secret weapon player is, is far too much. Yeah, no, I agree. Because how, how much is that stupid Chaos Dwarf? Is he 50k? 60k, but yeah. 60k. And he's strength four, got tackle, got some other yeah, shit. Armor nine. Dwarf. Yeah, I know. So yeah, um, anyway, so then we've got Cindy Pie Whistle, who is the secret weapon you should take. Um, she is accurate bombardier, dodge loner, secret weapon stunty, and she's 50k. Brilliant. And accurate on a stunty is brilliant, isn't it? So yeah, so she, she's lobbing pies on the two plus. And she can do the full six squares, two plus, doesn't matter if it's accurate or not. Just roll two pluses and you're there. And she's brilliant. She's great fun. Uh, Run Below Sheepskin, who is the best of the new star players, I think. Controversial. Excluding Golden Age. Excluding <laughs> um, block Horns Juggernaut, Loner, No Hands Tackle, Thick Skull. And he's Beastman stats. 
So he's 6337. Is that a Beastman stat or is Beastman Armour Value 8? Armour Value 8, yeah. One, one below Beastman, yeah, but block, juggernaut, horns, strength 4 on the charge. Wow, it's brilliant. But yeah, it's good. And it's, it's that tackle, juggernaut, block kind of combination that makes him a reliable ball popper, doesn't it? Um, uh, Jamie doesn't have stunty, but a rather ball popper. But yeah, so he, he's, he's going to be blitzing every single turn for you if he's on the pitch, really. Um, then we've got Big Joe Bohairy Foot, who is a move four, strength three, AG2, armor eight fling, who's got dirty player, loner, stand firm, stunty, tackle, wrestle. A rackler. He is. 120k. Um, I'm. I'm not sure how useful he really is in, in reality. Like, he's got some nice combinations of skills there. Obviously, armor rate's great. Uh, tackle, wrestle. But he's only movement four. And on the team, we're just starved from ability anyway. Yeah, it's, I think it's the combination of the movement four with the rattling. Like, you, you want to be going out and hitting people and you kind of can't because you're not fast yeah. enough. So. He hits somebody, he wrestles them to the floor. And then what? He gets up and moves one square if he's lucky. And then the stunt is only bad for him because he's got agility too, so he's not going to be dodging anywhere. So it's just a and he doesn't have dodge. Yeah, yeah. So... I've seen him used on uh, ogre teams and stuff before. Um, I just, yeah, he's probably a little bit slightly, slightly confused star player. He's too expensive. I, I, th- I think if he was like 100k or 90k, maybe. But anyway, um, next one though is the absolute creme de la creme, which is the golden age star player, Captain Colander. Gives which, Jeremiah a run for his money. Which I have used mercilessly at any tournament that will let me because he is fucking brilliant. So he is, first of all, only 100,000. His stats are move six, strength two, edge three, armor seven. So he's got goblin stats, essentially, hasn't he? Woohoo! <laughs> and then we look at his skills, and he's got your standard loner for a star player. He's got stunty, he's got dodge, and he's got right stuff so he can be thrown. And once again, a great player to be thrown potentially because of his armor seven, but then an even better player to be thrown because he's got jump up. So if you don't break his armor, he's up next turn for free. He's then got regeneration. Woo! (laughs) If something happens to him, he's got a 50% chance of surviving. Then he's also got sidestep. Oh, unbelievable, but not only sidestep, He's got the even more broken combination than Dauntless Sidestep Thick Skull. He's got Sidestep Fend. And Sidestep Fend is delicious. It is annoying, isn't it? Exactly. I choose where I go and you don't get to follow, my friend. Yeah. He's nice, isn't he? Like, he's guarding your cage and he's guarding your ball carrier. And this is a guy where we, I think when we talked about him on the original um, Halfling thing, we were a bit we were not as enthusiastic as we are now. And it's interesting how playtesting can change that. We were like, oh, he's not quite got the stuff, but he's great, isn't he? He's brilliant. And then he's also got, we're not done on his skills, he's got catch, fantastic, natural re-roll on handoffs, and he's got the extra movement, of course. And then the secret weapon of all of them, which is dirty presence. <laughs> Disturbing presence. <laughs> but yeah. Disturbing presence. Right. Just, yeah. just to chuck a spanner in the works to your opponent. Absolutely, like, and it, it worked at UKTC. Like, so I, I got, um, what is it? I got best stunty. I forget what my record was at the weekend, but I won how many games played? Six weekends at UKTC, is it? 
Six weekends, yeah, a lot of weekends. No, six games. <laughs> I won four and then I lost two, I think was my record for the weekend. And I got best stunty. But in the last game, it was Captain Colander. Skinks coming at me down the side, all lined up to do their crafty play. And they were going to hand off to this next skink. And he was like, aha, there we go, made the hand off. And I was like, no, 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 my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Disturbing presence. And he's like, oh, fuck. Because <laughs> I've, I've got the halfling... Um, cards for the team and I always take the Captain Colander card with me and I'm like look you have this card you look at it you know what he's got because he's got a long list of skills what is that one two three four five six seven eight nine ten skills including loner of course that's why he's a legend he's brilliant absolutely brilliant disturbing presence is so 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 good nice so there we go I mean, that is the yeah. long list of our players that we've got <laughs> It's a long list. It's great. No, it's, it's good that the flings have got a bit of an update. And, um, you know, before we move on to the tactics, Phil, we'll take a quick break before that. But, yeah, they've got the, the extra stars, the extra players on their roster. I think just makes them more fun. I think we talked about that before. You always, I played them at, um, at an event in Bromley where I did okay, actually, in the end. Um, and you always feel like you can do something because the extra stuff they've got just makes them be able to do that. Yeah, and I think you need a long list of stars for flings because you're always going to be taking stars. Whether it's league play or uh, tournament play, you're always going to have at least one star and you're more likely than not going to have two stars, I would have thought. And it's nice to have that variety, isn't it? Absolutely. And a nice variety of halfling star players proper as well. Mm. Right, listeners. We'll take a quick break here um, and then we'll come back and talk about... Uh, the Podcast! Fuck yeah! Woo! Tactics in a set. Shake your body, baby, do that conga. No, you can't control yourself any longer. Come on, shake your body, baby, do that conga. No, you can't control yourself any longer. Do you believe in God? The human torch was denied a bank loan. Now I can't see where the gap is. Come on, shake your body, baby, do that conga. No, you can't control yourself any longer. Feel the rhythm of the music getting stronger. Don't you fight it till you try Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Talk Nuffle podcast where uh, Phil and I are discussing the halflings. And uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to try, we're going to talk tactics. Do, do halflings have tactics, Phil? I mean, yeah, I mean, do they? <laughs> I, mean, I think if you went by most halfling players you met at tournaments, you'd probably think no. <laughs> <laughs> But are there halfling tactics you can employ? Then yes, is definitely the answer. Excellent. I mean, um, let's dive straight into it. I mean, one of the things we're going to talk about um, in a little bit, probably, uh, Phil, is, and we will go into not the general tactics, but the, the throw teammate touchdown, and there are some stats on that. And there's actually a really good resource that is on the NAF um, that mm-hmm. you can talk about. Um, but the general halfling tactics, how do you set up for your offensive halfling drive? Well, I guess it's going to depend on your build, at least. And certainly the, the build that I, I always take, and I think it's difficult to talk tactics without talking build almost at the same time. Mm-hmm. But you either go bashy and you have deep root and two trees. I say bashy slash area denial slash kind of control because they're difficult to get past. Or you would go for a more mobile halfling build whereby you take a star player such as Carla Von Kill or Rumbelow Sheepskin or a collection of the other 
non-tree, non-deep non root halfling star players. Um, your trees are always going to go on the line, just always. And, and actually, when I was at UKTC earlier this year, game one, I was up against Chaos Dwarves with a claw mino, and I was just thinking, oh, bollocks, like, he's just going to delete a tree straight away. Anyway, got to number crunching, got to talking to some of your previous um, race specialists, Joe Manji, Gegster, other people as well from ECBBL. And after we looked at the numbers, actually, the much better option was to have the tree on a line and risk it rather than almost guaranteed to lose a fling. So two trees on the line, three trees if you've got deep root, um, and then otherwise probably just a regular unskilled vanilla halfling. Just standing in the middle, ready to get punched in the face. Yeah. Um, if you are worried about your trees getting uh, ganged up on or hit by like a minotaur, for example, then make sure you've appropriately placed your flings in the line immediately behind so that if the mino does do any shenanigans, you let the tree says, hey man, you push me, go for it. And then you've got halflings there to assist. So the mino is straight away into a two dice uphill. Um, and that, I've, I've used that to kill minos on, on more than one occasion. And it's always nice when, when the player does it. And then they realise in the second block and they're like, oh, shit. He's not going to stand firm. I'm fucked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then that does for him. Um, and then the rest of your halflings, broadly speaking, if you're receiving the ball, arrange to cover the territory to pick up the ball and also to kind of cover the blitz. Um, and just generally to be around. You probably want at least one halfling next to each of your trees as well, just so they can be flung if need to be, um, or they can help get the tree up if he has any problems. Um, and then on defense, um, probably something broadly speaking the same, maybe halflings a bit closer to the line of scrimmage. On, so on the offense, do you tend to chuck your catchers up the field or do you ball carry with them? No, I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't um, I wouldn't throw teammate touchdown unless I had to. I say chuck. I mean, move them up the field as a maybe a, a canoring I mean, threat. <laughs> so I, knew, I knew that when you played flings, you quite enjoyed running your catches up the side straight away to kind of mm. get into position. I, I would tend to be maybe a bit more cautious or conservative with them. You don't want everybody in the same place because then you become too easy to defend against and too easy to play against. But I'm, I'm not a fan of particularly your catchers, which are your better players, of having them overly exposed and then liable to being killed pretty quick. Um, but there's merit in that, I suppose, and being quite aggressive with your halflings, particularly if you get a blitz or your opponent's set up in a bit of a bad way. You can sometimes exploit that space, but you're not very quick. So you don't have any lateral movement to speak of because you're only movement five. So you've got to kind of stick in your channels a bit, I suppose. But on that offense, you're going to want to grab the ball and then run into where your trees are as quickly as possible, aren't you, to try and build some sort of cage around there? Because flings aren't great at, at screening or caging, aren't they? Like normal flings. No, they're, they're pretty terrible at almost every aspect of the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, pretty much picking up the ball is the danger time for your flings, for sure. Because the worst thing that you can possibly have is a deep kick. Um, and then you've got to run your flings back and you've got to have one to go and get the ball, two others to kind of run back with him, more of them to screen as well. And the safe zone is that kind of like, I don't know, nine squares or 12 squares behind your trees on the line of scrimmage. And that's where you've got to get to. That's like objective number one, get the ball in hand, 
in that area surrounded by the rest of his team so that he's at least got some kind of safety because you always get picked off otherwise every other team is quicker than you except maybe Nurgle um, and then <laughs> on the back, they'll cut you off with the ball and then you're going to be playing a very difficult game trying to get the ball back to your trees um, so yeah deep kicks are a nightmare for that but yeah get them back to the trees then screen I, I, I wouldn't necessarily cage unless you need to but screen them off, certainly. Screen them with trees, screen them with flings, screen them with your hefties, because they've got their fend as well. To kind of fend! OP fend. Um, and you, uh, you're a bit of a proponent, Phil, aren't you, of uh, keeping your trees moving? So you're going to control the re-rolls against your opponent, but early on, particularly early on in the drive, just to get those trees a little bit, this is on the offence, a little bit into your opponent's half, you might be using re-rolls early on in the take route just to get them up there and keep that rolling. Mm. So re-roll management and, um, you know, throughout the game is going to be key. I would only ever use re-rolls for take group unless it was an absolutely crucial, 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 crucial pickup or block or it was towards the end of the half and you knew that you could use them without detrimenting, you know, everything else. Because as soon as your tree takes root, that's it for the drive. He's fucked. Other team is going to stay well clear of him. You're going to have very limited use. Maybe he'll be able to throw somebody at some point, but that's one of your players down. And let's not forget, that's one of your, you know, decent players. Everyone else is shit. <laughs> it's all drops. And the number of times you'll, you'll play that um, <clears throat> first turn of the game, roll a one straight away. And like, if that's turn one and he's, and he's taken root straight away, well, that's, <laughs> you're down to 10 players already. And that's one of the key things, Phil, actually, um, that we didn't probably stress enough in that halflings are the same as the ogres and that the trees don't have loner, same as the ogres don't have loner on this hunter team. You know, in a goblin team, the trolls do. Uh, but you can absolutely use rerolls to abundance, and that's why they're such an effective throwing team as well. So I was talking with Lycos at UKTC about ogres as well, and he was telling some stories. Um, and he, he was saying, well, with his ogres, as soon as one ogre fails a bonehead roll, none of the other ogres activate. And they just stay where they are. They should be in a good position already from the last turn. And they just maintain position, keep their tackle zones, keep the ability to do something. Um, and then, you know, wait for the next turn when they've got rerolls to use. And I would say exactly the same thing with the trees. If I take group with one of my trees straight away, I'm re-rolling it and then the other tree's doing nothing. If he's got great blocks on the go, he's doing nothing. Unless, of course, it's like a turn seven, turn eight, doesn't matter if he roots. Um, he's staying there. Um, because it, your opponent then has always got to be worried about them because you can't leave them unmarked because trees will move. Um, so, yeah. Pretty slowly, but they will move. They will move. And they'll close, they'll close a door. They'll close a door on a channel by moving two squares and then, and then you know, blocking off that space. Or they'll just block you in. And I kind of, I tend to play in almost a bit like, um, with like a trap door, where I'll kind of push them to one side and then you just kind of close the door on them at the bottom of the pitch towards the end zone. And then all of a sudden they've got two trees who are almost in a, in a line. Um, you know, imagine along the, um, the line that runs the length of the pitch. And then you've got your flings in the bottom of that closest to the end zone and they can't get through. And then they have to go back out and round again. And you can't do that, of course, if your trees are stuck. 
And that's why, that's why deep root is so good, because he doesn't take root. And then you've got three, three trees. Now I always take my trees with block. So three trees. It's interesting, and we're talking at the moment, Phil, it's interesting that in a league environment, you can almost guarantee getting those stars in as well, particularly later on in leagues, because you've got so much TV. It's not like a normal team. That's one of the very few, but the strengths of the high halflings that you can, you can, you can take those stars. And you, you take deep root. He's basically the second option after a, uh, a um, chef, isn't he? Yeah, or, or even instead of a chef, if I can't afford both. Really? Okay, well, that's fair yeah, enough. It depends on the team I'm playing against and how much they need re-rolls and how much I need the re-rolls. Yeah, if you're playing like Vampires, for example, where you can just take all their re-rolls away, perfect. Really? But if, you, if you're playing against a team which essentially has got loads of natural re-rolls anyway and doesn't need them, Particularly, particularly skilled up teams as well, where they're every, you know, a skilled up elf team where everybody's got dodge and block and catch and throw. And you're like, well, actually, you don't need that many. Yeah. Elves are cunts, Phil. We know that. So, yeah. Yeah. And anyone who plays them. <laughs> I mean, one more thing to talk about on the offense, Phil, before we um, have a little bit, a, a slightly more in-depth chat about defense, and then we'll move on to talk about the league builds. Uh, but yeah, on the offense um, process, one of the, the tools that is available to the halflings and definitely, definitely is a, a useful thing is the throw teammate, isn't it? How often does that work for you? The amount of times that Phil has come over to me at a bloody tournament and he's gone, oh, I fucking failed the landing. I did everything right and the landing just did not work. And that's like one of the problems with it, isn't it? It's a four plus with a re-roll often and it's, it's tricky to pull off. I mean, it, it almost never works in my experience. Glorious <laughs> when it does. I mean, but then, but then again, I, I, they love to fail their stupid tripwire on the, uh, you know, in the end zone as well. So, I mean, the odds aren't great. If you're going to throw teammates, what is it going to be? Ignore the take route because that's irrelevant. Yeah, I've got the, so I've got the process here, Phil, and I will post this for the listeners. I'll post a link in the chat, uh, sorry, in the chat, in the, um, in the, the SoundCloud, and then it'll go on iTunes so people can click on it. But there is a really good little throw teammate kind of, um, you know, what you do. And actually, a lot of the, the, the new listeners, the beginners, a lot of the DBL guys who might be coming to Stunties for the very first time, this is a great, um, you know, little uh, uh, wire diagram to follow. And Andy Barton was the guy I linked this to us first. But I'll just walk us through it quickly. Um, and it's effectively the throw teammate process. Uh, first of all, you declare your throw teammate, which is your pass action for the turn. As we know, that's one of the problems. You can't pass twice. That is your pass action. Um, and then you roll that very crucial, really stupid, bonehead or take root and that's one of the big strengths of the halflings is that if you fail the take root you can still throw where every other stunty team can't so you, you do get to still throw so yeah then then on the wild diagram it's success after any re-rolls that you might want to use um for a bonehead or anything else you fail that that's it you can't go on but for a take root you can so you basically don't really care about that role so that's one two plus that you don't care about um, you then next move to the player that's being thrown you choose a target square which is up to six forwards and to three either side for a short pass or up to three forward or one either side for a quick pass. But again, for the trees, you're always going to go six forward because they've got that strong arm that makes it always a two plus a throw, which is another huge strength. It. So, so, so far, we're looking at one two plus effectively because you don't care about the take roots. Um, and then it's got in the wild diagram, is it always hungry? And that's why goblins are so bad because there's another two plus. You know, we're looking at all these roles here. So far, a halfing team's rolled one, two plus. So a goblin team might have had a two plus that could have failed, and then a three plus. You know, so it's it, we're looking at the halflings; they're really strong. 
Um, and then you roll to avoid a, fumble, uh, avoid a fumble. So you're looking at that two plus to get it six squares for the half length. Fumble avoided after any reroll. And I'm just reading through the, uh, the wire diagram. So providing the fumble has been avoided, it goes six forward and you scatter it three times using that D8. Uh, does the player land on an empty square? That's what you're hoping for. Uh, so you roll an agility roll with a minus one. And that's a you know, problem for the halflings because they've got to roll that four plus effectively to land. Uh, land roll pass and they're good to go. But the big weakness of halflings, and you know, I've walked through the wire diagram and listeners, if you're confused, I'm going to post a link. You can read through it yourself. And it's really clear if you're playing your games, um, please read through this and just do it. Play it through a few times to make sure that you, it makes sense because it's, it's super easy to use. But the weakness is, is that halflings are movement five. Um, they're not doom divers, which is why goblins are, are really strong, even though the troll is bad. So they, the, you know, the doom diver has to swoop so he can move forward. So they might you know, scatter in any direction. And then they move in five. So it makes them a real struggle to get to the end zone, doesn't it? That is absolutely um, it. It's the lack of movement on the team. If you look at it from an in-play perspective, you've got to be close enough with your trees to be able to throw them six and then where are the three scatters going to go? And then five plus two for the go for it if you need to get to the end zone. And that's not easy. Um, even with a catcher with sprint, three go for it. But once again, if you're using a reroll on the landing, you're not using a reroll on the go for it. Um, on a one turn touchdown from a kickoff perspective, it's even worse because any deep kick fucks you because you can't get the ball to the halfling by the tree. Um, that's where you really fall down. And the catchers do help. And then we had a chat about this on the other one. With, the, with that sprint, and if you're looking at tournament bills and other bits when they've got sure feet as well, they do, they do help. Um, it doesn't make it by any, sure, you know, by any means a sure thing, but they do help because they get that movement seven a bit more reliable, sorry, movement eight a bit more reliably, which, which does help, doesn't it? So you probably, on a one-turn on one touchdown for half things, you probably put your catchers at least one back and then maybe one forward for the throw because you've got choice there. You've only got two. So... For the throw, you want it to be up there to be catching, catching the ball on that catch with a reroll, you know, because you can catch the handoff and then land and hopefully run it in. But you also want one back to have a bit more movement to go and get it. So that's probably how you use them, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. You'd have one deeper, one further forward. I think what you really want to look out for is when there's tournaments where you can build your own players a bit more and you can get um, stat boosts. Because if you can get an AG4 halfling catcher, then that makes your, makes your odds so much better, of course, because then your landing is going to be a 3++. Plus plus. And, you know, and a 4++ plus plus with a reroll is, what, 75%? A 3++ plus plus is, what is it, like 80% or something, maybe? It's much better. I mean, that's oh, no, the thing about... Must be much that, better. That's the thing about the Doom Dive. You know, Sweep gives you a plus one landing as well. So <laughs> that's why Sweep is so good. Like, it's almost like... I, I kind of don't really see why... Um, you know, general throw teammates is a minus one. Like, I don't think it would break the game if it was a three plus. And we've talked about this before, and I'm just, just chucking it out there. I don't think it would break the game. And it would make it more fun, wouldn't it? That four plus with a reroll is just so, if you've got the reroll, it's just so difficult, isn't it? Absolutely. I, I think halfling coaches who rely on throw teammates to win, while it's entertaining, probably aren't very good halfling coaches. Um, because if, you, if you're relying on that to win, then you're conceding that actually you're only ever going to win a very few number of games. And you've got you've to be comfortable scoring in play through the running game, through being more flexible, through turning your opponent over, rather than throwing teammates, which is, which is something the Goblins can do, I think, probably quite reliably. Well, I mean, I'd throw it back at you, Phil. I mean, the DBL this year was won by throwing a Goblin 
you know, just effortlessly with ease by Ewan. And, and that will go down in the annuals of history. But clearly, throw teammate touchdown. We're not doing it right, are we? We are the mere mortals. And Ewan must teach us this blood bowl method of winning the DBL with a throw teammate. Unbelievable. First stunty player to ever be in the winning DBL team. Uh, yeah, and he won the game. Like, he wasn't just standing on the bench. He won, he won the DBL single-handedly with a troll. Probably fed to the troll after the game, I'm sure. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, I'd say one more thing on throw teammate, Phil, and we'll, talk, we'll have a quick chat about defence before we go on to league bills. Um, but it's just worth flagging up because it's, it's a thing that um, new listeners and beginners with stunties won't often realise or think of. And I'm not you know, teaching people to suck eggs, but quite often the, the, the best way to do it is actually to have your um, stunty who's going to catch the ball and then throw it on the line itself. And then you can move whatever you're using, listeners. This is a general stunty uh, tactic. Use your, move your troll or your, um, or your tree or your ogre forward one square, forward of the line of scrimmage to then throw it because it gives you that one extra square. And a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to put, I'm going to put the troll on the line of scrimmage and the guy behind him. And then I haven't, actually, if you put him on the square and you can move forward before passing, it gives you an extra square to then pass to to run it in. I, I wouldn't ever do that with halflings. Because they're not fast enough, is that? Yeah, because the, the, the biggest problem for me is getting the ball to the player who's going to be thrown. Because if, if you think about it as like a... If you were to be able to shade in every square on your half that you can't reach and yeah. get the ball to your player, it's a huge number of squares. And that, that player being one square further forward is another whole line of squares off the back of the pitch, of the backfield that you can't reach. I agree, but, but the way I do it, Phil, is I'm so in a half team. It's better on goblins, granted, because they move in six and you haven't got the mixtures. I would probably have, um, I'd have the catcher, actually, that one square further forward on the line, but I'd have him like next to the troll, but standing outside, sorry, troll, tree man, standing outside him as, a, as an extra option. And I'd still have a halfling behind, I'd have because you've got options when you're going for that one-turn touchdown. You know, you've got options to spread them around. But if you possibly can move that tree man forward, you get that extra square, and it's, it's really useful. And you can choose whether you want that catcher who's going to have a bit more chance, and it's, it's how you, you build that chances in. But I'd still have a guy further forward. If you can build that in, the ball hopefully lands in that sweet spot in front of the guy who's getting it, why not? I think once once again you're gonna you're gonna suffer from people then being able to mark that halfling player on the line of scrimmage, um, and also you're gonna suffer from um, not having enough halflings potentially in the backfield to pick up the ball because you're you're likely to be players down if you know if you're being forced to try and score by one turn touchdowns things might not be going quite so well. Um, I think you need to have that range in the backfield i mean it's it's a tough ask anyway for any halfling coach i've had very few times it's failed because i didn't get thrown far enough it's almost always in because i can't get the ball to the player or he just doesn't land because he's a dickhead <laughs> but what, one, one thing which we can talk about now which maybe bridges the gap between offense and defense is a more general sense of um tactic throughout the game and that's going to be whether or not you're going super bash and you're trying to remove players. Because a key part of halfling tactics is keeping your players on the pitch and then removing your opponent's players. And that, that's irrespective of whether it's your drive or theirs. Um, two mighty blow players, tournament builds in particular, with block, then they're going to be reliably taking people out, one would hope. And you can easily give them the third man to make the three dice blocks on most players. If you take deep root, that's three mighty blow block players. 
Um, and indeed, when I played at your hard six tournament um, back before lockdown, I think, what was it, 20 odd casualties or 25? I don't know. It was a, a lot of casualties I got over those four games. Mm, and you managed to do pretty well against me, didn't you, Phil? <laughs> we, we actually, and this is, I mean, people might shout fix, but we actually played off for the tournament effectively, didn't we? <laughs> which is the whole tournament, but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so you want, to, you want to be removing players. You want to be fouling players if you can too, if the opportunity arises. And you want to be trying to keep your halflings alive. You can't be too cavalier with them. And if you're throwing a fling every turn, well, you know, it's going to yield results sometimes. But if you're already players down, and you're likely to be. Then you're yeah, just... I've seen, I've seen quite a few, um, and we will, we're going to move into defence now, Phil, like you say. But I've seen quite a few people, and that's probably a defensive manoeuvre, uh, talking about chucking flings as a defence. And, and you can. It's... I would suggest that it's a last resort. It's not the case of I'm going to chuck a snotling in um, or a goblin. Often you have a lot more goblins to chuck in as well. But flings, you, you've got to use them right, haven't you? You don't just chuck one every turn just in case. It's definitely not the way that you Absolutely play. Absolutely not. And, and I think just another, another nod to maybe a more general tactic too, which is going to be formation. Because with three trees, which is the way I play, then you want to be doing pitch control. And you want to have all of your trees well spaced. Because if you've got tree, two spaces, tree, two spaces, tree, that's a lot of the pitch that you're covering, if you conclude tackle zones either end as well. Um, and what that means is that then your opponent is really stuck in terms of trying to get past you, because they've got to go round, they can't go through unless they can take down a tree. And you're certainly going to have halflings positioned to stop that from happening. Um, and that then enables, you know, you kind of dictate the game a bit more rather than having to be reactive. Because once the game gets away from you as a halfling coach, given that you're so slow, it's so difficult trying to play that catch-up game where you're trying to run players back to cover a gap and you can't get quite close enough because you're moving five. Yeah, they're moving five, aren't they? It's just it's not going to happen. Yeah, and if, and if the game is six squares away from your trees or five squares away from your trees, well, then what, what are you going to do? You're, you're, you're pretty screwed. Mm. So you want to have really good um, positional play um, and you need to be able to cover all areas of the pitch. You need to be able to cover threats as they arise. Um, you need to have, obviously, players who can be thrown. Um, you need to have, well, you need to have a lot, a lot of uh, thinking as to where people are going to be when you're playing Halflings. Yeah, and one of the key notes I've written down here um, for a good defence with Halflings is be lucky, which we can't stress enough. With every stunty team, in Blood Bowl in general, with every stunty team, you, you, have, to, you have to play it you know, effectively as, as you think it should be played. But you're only going to have fun if you're lucky at the end, at the end of the day. And, and assume, you know, as, if you lose, it's not the end of the world because you have to have that edge of luck to win. If you even get a little bit of bad luck, you're completely fucked. So, so don't, be, don't be sad about it. It might happen. And I've seen you be a bit sad at tournaments sometimes because it's so annoying when you get... You get I've seen you, like, draw against... You drew against Necromantic... Uh, the UK, uh, the UK TC and stuff like that, where you would, where it was a four plus with the reruns that throw teammate, where you draw, oh. And like, oh, I might win, but you kind of got to let it pass by you because otherwise you're not going to enjoy it. It's, it, it, it's those, it. it's those ones where you, you know, you think like, fuck, man, I should have won that game. So close. And you're, and you're the halfling coach, and you're thinking, yeah, oh, shit, man, I should have won that game. But and don't then... get hung up on it because it's <laughs> going to be. <laughs> don't get hung up on it, Phil. You won a tournament, mate. You won a tournament. Um, but yeah, the tactics on defense, we've started to talk about it. Um, and I think I'd agree with you. One of the key things is I, the way I would play them is to grind your opponent down and actually try and outnumber them on the, de the defense. 
use your big guys, whether that's going to be deep root, and I disagree, I'd, I'd rather have a more mobile threat, like a big strength dude, but definitely use your trees and stuff to grind the opponent down, and, um, and then try and surround them once you, if you can get a good boot in on the war dancer, get a boot in. <laughs> it's not like goblins, but it's definitely like, that, that's an option to you as a Sunday coach, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I think you always want to be fouling if you can. If, it, if it's a high value target and um, you've got a halfling with dirty player or sneaky git. And we'll talk about builds, but I, I don't think sneaky git's a bad, uh, bad skill at all. Okay, hey, sneaky git on a skeleton is where you want it. That's it. Only, only on the Kemri skeletons, though. <laughs> I mean, mate, one of the best, very best, while we're talking about fouling, I've recently been playing in the ECBBL Fumble League and I'm doing exceptionally well with Undead, so I don't mind you know, blowing my own trumpet and talking about it. It's our podcast, mate. I always, it's, it's, a shame, it's a shame I've got you on this because often I have my, my uh, guests on. I'm like, you, I'm going to talk as long as I want because it's my podcast. So you can shut the fuck up, even if it's you, Gangster. But yeah, uh, on, <laughs> on, the, uh, on the Undead build, yeah, I'm doing really well. And um, I recently played Muska from the uh, ECBBL, who actually played a really good game. She was extremely unlucky to not at least... Yeah. My neighbour. Um, yeah, absolutely, Muska, who is doing a great job. She's working in the NHS. She's doing a fantastic job during this period. Her and James, keeping us safe, keeping us alive, which is great. I think she uh, actually yeah. might be the better coach of the two these days as well, you know? I think she is. Yeah, she's, she's better looking and she's a better coach. So, you know, James can just, you know, I think he needs to give up now really, doesn't he? <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I played Muska and I took... Um, that's fine. Say again, Phil? We've got James playing Horus Heresy instead. Oh, nice. Well, perfect. That's probably better for him. <laughs> but he's listening to this as well. I know he listens to these podcasts. So it's great that, that we're talking about how his missus is essentially a lot better at Blubble with him, despite the fact that he's coached her. And it often happens. It, it's like Lewis yeah. and his partner as well, you know? I know. Well, Heather is, is oodles better than Lewis. And it's in the stats. It's there. Heather uh, yeah. 1.0, original and best. The original and best. Well, I don't know. I, I quite like Heather. Heather two. Heather 3.0 was probably my favourite. Had a certain charm about him, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Probably good breasts as well. But yeah. <laughs> right. Let's so yeah. I was talking about undead against Musker, um, and I used um, and, and you know James and hopefully Musker will be listening to this. But I use Rick, who is um, the zombie fouling player, really really effectively against her. And I was lucky. Like a you know, went no bones about it. But he is a zombie with Dirty Player and Sneaky Git. He's the only player out there, the only star. He is fucking great. And he probably killed, I think I did seven Kazes in the end, and he did at least four, maybe five of those. And, you know, he might have gone off first, first Kaz. That could have happened. But he, I was really lucky he didn't get those doubles. And he just kept killing shit. It was amazing. She had Necrantic. It was really good fun. How much is he? Um, he is 110k. So that's the thing about him. He's got to do two, really, because you're going to be you're going to be targeting high value targets. If you kill one, he's probably getting his money back roughly. Well, it's sneak, it's sneak. You get that makes you much more survivable as a as a fowler. And that's where I was going, Phil. I was taking a massive segue and coming back into yeah, where sneaky get isn't terrible, but mm. because it keeps them on the pitch. But yeah, dirty player is obviously better as that removal piece. But yeah. Absolutely. Well, what are we talking about now? Where did we get to? We were talking about defense and using fouling and dirty players and sneaky gets. I mean, actually, um, doubles on a halfling, a dirty player halfling is probably quite good on defense, isn't it? And we're, we're going to go into how to develop them in a bit. But yeah, it is probably quite I don't, good. I don't think you'd ever take it, though, over block. Well, let's, we'll, we'll draw stumps there, because we're going to talk about um, how to develop them for a league in a mm -hmm. sec. 
Um, but yeah, for, for defense, like I said, the, the general tactic, I think, is to try and outnumber your opponent. You're not going to beat them if they're running around you and they've got more players than you. So that's using the skills you've got at your um, disposal, the mighty blow, gang fouling, uh, trying to get stuck in there, and also re-rolls, isn't it? Getting that re-roll denial in. So you're unlikely to face an opponent who's going to score quickly against you, I'd have thought. They're going to take their time a bit more. They often underestimate you as a halfling coach as well. And they think, oh, I've got this in the bag. It's going to be fine. And then you do want to kind of advance a bit. You want to grind them, move a bit forward, pen them in a little bit, get them to where you want them to be. Because the closer they are together, the easier they are then to, to start targeting and to, to corralling. Um, obviously, you always want to watch out for people who are running past you, running around. Elves are a nightmare. Like, elves have got to be the worst matchup, I think, for halflings. Wood elves in particular. Yeah. Because I in general. I mean, elves are cunts, like we said. Anyone is this, this. And you know, as we know, Phil, James is probably one of our only two listeners. James and James are listening to it. James, the commissioner of the DBL, and the other James are probably the only two people listening to this. And James is a cunt, as he knows, and he, he won't disagree uh, because he plays elves, and that's just the way it goes. And there's going to be an element on your defense of trying to force your opponent to score sometimes as well. Hmm particularly in tournament play when people like to go for the two-one grind and they're going to get past you get round the back your trees are somewhere in the middle of the park and they're just going to sit there for a bit and all you can do is throw your useless halflings at them so use more of a traditional bash defense where you kind of force them to score by kicking the shit out of them bashing them and going you know threatening their players if you need to I'd, i'd want to make sure i've got at least one player near where they are to try and threaten the ball carrier because actually, you're not bad at turning over the ball. Like, if for some reason you've got a strip ball halfling, that's a great player. Block halfling, wrestle halfling. And I, I would go wrestle halfling as my first skill on a, in a tournament build for a double on a halfling. Because then you can always have a go at the ball. Hmm. One dodge into the cage on a three plus plus. And then um, I'd uphill that for days. All day long. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually really effective. And people will... And like you said, they underestimate you, don't you? And that's one of your most effective um, strengths you have for you in the halfling. They're going to underestimate you and you can laugh at them. Right, Phil, I think that's um, the general halfling tactics, don't you? Have you got anything more to add on tactics before we move on to league development? I don't know. It's been like four months since I've played a game of Blood Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you a lot about painting white, though, at the moment. Oh, right. Okay. How do you paint white? You know... In, with a with a bit of a like a unhappy face and being quite annoyed because it's so fucking ball-like to paint. That's how you do it. I actually really like the Darren Latham uh, method of painting on white. I've looked at it and I've tried it out a few times. It's um his his YouTube videos are disappearing because of bloody Games Workshop IP in about a month. So I'm gonna have to try and download. It is. Yeah. So Darren Latham's white is my is my method for doing my white scars. It's really good, isn't it? It's awesome. His videos are fantastic. I haven't actually done a lot of hobby, and we, maybe we'll do a very brief hobby. Hobby. We've been doing hours and hours of podcasts. If, if so you, many podcasts. We've done like eight or nine or ten podcasts or something with all these different races. Yeah, I mean, Phil's been on his deathbed, and I've gone fuck it. Talk nuffle goes on, podcasting away. <laughs> we'll go for it while Phil's dying of coronavirus. But it's great to have you back, mate. Right, we'll. Phil uh... Anderson Memorial Lockdown Race Reviews. There you go. Oh, well, right, listeners, we'll, um, we'll take a, a quick break here after the tactics. And uh, yeah, Phil, in a sec, we'll come back and talk about how to develop your halflings for a league. 
And it seemed to me that he played his game like a halfling playing blood bowl. gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Talk Nuffle podcast with me, Morg Loinster, and my co-host, Phil, the Prince of Pleasure, where we're going to talk about the halflings in a league environment, which I believe you've done in a couple of leagues, haven't you, Phil? I have, yeah, always to, um, to varied success. You have good days and you have bad days as a halfling coach in a league, I think that's fair to say. And that's... Where I bring into this discussion quite often with my guests, because um, you took them, did you take flings? You took flings in the ECBBL, didn't you? But you've not taken them in the DBL. No, no, I did, I did for DBL last season too. Yeah, you did, didn't you? Yeah, I'm sorry. So you've done it in both. And that's, it's interesting because, you know, the ECBBL and the DBL are, um, are quite different leagues, um, both fantastic. I've had great fun in both. Um, but people often say that like the DBL is your kind of fluff um, less competitive league, which I, I actually disagree with. I think that in the DBL there are a lot of really competitive players. But the mm. big difference is, is that for me, in the uh, ECBBL, you kind of have to win all of your games in the conference stages to like then progress. Whereas in the DBL, you don't. You can ha- have what I call more fun in the conference stages because it doesn't matter as much if you lose because it's, it's a little bit easier to get to that round of 32, which is, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, in the ECBBL, they normally have, what, four different groups, and it's only the top two in each group that go through out of, like... like a wild card, yeah. Whereas in the DBL, pretty much everybody has something to fight for. Because mm. they either go into the Cucklebury Cup, which is the Losers' Cup, or the DBL Cup, which is the main cup. So did you go into the Losers' Cup with your uh, halflings, Phil? Certainly did. Because <laughs> <laughs> Ewan, with his throw teammate Goblins, is a lucky bastard sometimes, you know. He is, he is. I, I should have beaten him on both occasions, but there we go. <laughs> so has been known to be a lucky, lucky bastard. Um, but yeah, so you played them in both. Um, how do you go in the ECBBL in the end? Um, not particularly well. No, one, struggle a bit. One, two, and then drew a load and lost a load. I had some funny results, some games I should have won. I had a lot of bad luck in some of them as well, just on crucial dice rolls. Like, the game was relatively like tight. And then it'd be like a two plus two plus to, to score, and you, obviously you get a one and a one. Hmm. Um, but so the my league experience with them in the DBL and the ECBL is great because I've had both the old roster and a new roster experience. Oh yeah, I've experienced both, and I've also experienced the two the two play styles for the team as well. So with the old roster, the general um, thinking was you play the inducement game which you always have to have an eye to as a halfling coach. So you've got enough inducements to take star players and the chef. And so you keep your team value as low as you possibly can. You know, almost bare minimum of halflings and your trees. No apo ever, because it's 50k of team value that you'd rather spend on inducements. You're not going to use an apo on a halfling. You're not going to use an apo on a tree, to be honest, either, because you've got gold. Um, and so you'll just hire a new tree. And you know what? Your tree's probably stuck with, like, guard, and grab and is overpriced and he's an idiot and it takes root. So get a fresh new tree, try and get him block if you can. So with the inducement build, you can make your TV at something like six, 600 or 650, which gives you enough then to take deep root straight away. If it's 600 deep root and indeed the chef in game one, 
is so powerful against rookie starting teams. Because no starting team can deal with deep root. Barely any tournament team can deal with deep root, really. And three trees is brilliant. The alternative, which is only really possible because of the new halfling positionals, is to take them. Um, and if, indeed, if you take two catches and you take two hefties, that's 200k that you add onto your team value. Mm. Um, and certainly from a, a fun point of view, I much preferred taking a fuller roster with positionals in the DBL. Um, not because it was in the DBL or because necessarily it was with the new positionals, but just because you get more attached to your team, you know? Mm. Having just to recycle players, not being bothered who they are, and they just, they just die and you get new ones, rather than actually trying to cultivate something, trying to grow something, trying to get some skilled up players, rather than every single game reviewing your team and going, hmm, that halfling that's got an agility skill, do I just sack him? Because actually I'd rather have 20k of team value for the next game. And actually the new stars have allowed you that flexibility as well, because they're a bit cheaper. Mm. Um, like you probably wouldn't take Pug even Puggy's quite overpriced, but there are some really cool like Cindy and some cheaper ones where you can get all of the stuff you want um, and then still take them early on you. Cindy's perfect for that. 50k for a star player straight away. Mm. And actually the fact that she's got secret weapon and is only on from one drive, it's not a big problem because she's 50k and let's be honest, you know, some of your halflings only last the drive anyway. So she's well worth it, really, in terms of having an extra bum on bum in the seat and also uh, a bomb to be thrown. So what's your recommended starting roster now with all the positionals in play and, um, and how you would go down that in a 1,000k just starting roster? Um, I, I would go with um, all of the positionals. There are two catchers, two hefties, both the trees. Um, what is that, six players? Uh, and then probably eight halflings to take you to 14. And then probably two or three re-rolls. Now, some halfling coaches like to go one re-roll only. Um, I think you want more because like, like we discussed earlier, I want to have re-rolls to keep my trees going. Um, and then if you chuck a chef on top of that too, then you've got lots of re-rolls, which actually allows you a bit more flexibility in, in um attempting some of the riskier plays whether it be popping the ball or throwing a player um, or doing other such activities which otherwise you might be a bit averse to and you can't guarantee the chef i think if you've taken two re-rolls you've got an option to go well actually i've got 300k maybe i'm going to take deep roots and just forego the chef because i've still got two and i'm going to take deep roots so, whereas if you've got one yeah. you're going straight down that chef free aren't you yeah, absolutely. I mean, or, or like you're playing early on, like a, a re-rollless elf build or something like that, you know, mm. or um, teams of leader, leader one re-roll where they've only got one or a team with all the natural inbuilt, you know, an Amazon team, for example. Like they don't need their re-rolls, do they really? Mm. So actually getting somebody who's going to add something on the pitch rather than the chance of a four plus of getting you a re-roll and denying them one. Um, yeah, it can be a powerful thing to do. Mm. So off the bat, we're saying, I think that probably comes in at about 900k. Is that 860, I think. Say again? 860. 860. So you've got 140k to play with them. That's with two re-rolls, is it, Phil? Three. Three. So all three re-rolls there. And you've got 140k yeah, there to play with some of the new stars. Like we said, we can get in your Cindy's. You can get the chef if you want off the bat. It depends on what you want to play for. Is she 100? Sorry, the chef's 100k for half isn't it? 
Yeah, for 100K, yeah. So you got that option there. And then pretty early on, within the first couple of games, your opponents are going to start to TV blow and you can start to look at deep root and stuff like that. Can't really? And, you know, if you start to TV blow, you can always sack players. Like, really what you want is your trees to get doubles so they can get block. Then they become worthwhile keeping. But otherwise, you're just giving a tree a skill that isn't really what you want to do. Like, break tackle is situational, but you're rolling a 2-plus to take root, and then you're rolling a 2-plus to dodge. Yeah. And look, if he falls over, then he's going to need help getting up, and he might take root while he's on the floor. So that's a risky thing. Guard is, is, can be useful, but your flings aren't necessarily going to be hitting players by the tree. Because, well, just leave, let the tree take care of them, you know? Yeah. Multiple block is very situational again. And if you don't have block yourself, it's a second chance to try and knock yourself over. And you want your tree up and you want your tree not rooted. That's his value. So we've talked about, uh, seamlessly segued into talking about the trees and how to develop them. Like you said, block is pretty much your only choice. The other skills... Um, you, you kind of do take them. I probably wouldn't even take guard anyway. I'd probably take grab and hope for some other stuff. I just don't think you really need the guard, like you said. Yeah. No, um, agree. And so grab is grab is a great skill to drag people back into trees. Even if you take roots, you can use grab to keep them next to you and hit them again next turn. Yeah, so, or, or to move them into a spot where it's going to be harder to dodge away from, or move them away from play, or just kind of put them onto a sideline. All kinds of stuff, you know. Yeah, grab is a, is a very early on skill. And then, yeah, block is what we're looking for, isn't it? Um, and if you roll a two doubles, imagine if you've got a block tree with another double and you can go jump up or something like that. That'd be great. Or dodge. Or dodge. <laughs> a blodge tree. <laughs> that'd uh, be ridiculous. That's mother looker. You try and knock me down, eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about the, the normal flings then, uh, Phil. And I think... Um, I think in the old, maybe it's still the same, but I think in the old days, you definitely, that would be a cut rebuy kind of situation. There's just not really, there's not really a lot of normal skills that add to the team without bloating. Like it is just yeah. really difficult, isn't it? Because you look at your, your player's team value, 30K for the player itself. One normal skill then almost doubles their value to 50K. Yeah. And it's just not worth it. Like sidestep halfling yeah i was gonna say the two skills i'm looking at are sidestep and diving tackle for both offense and defense and stuff but again is 20k worth it i don't think it is i don't like sidestep like generally it's, it's obviously very useful and you can you can use it to great effect but you're relying on your player getting hit and as a halfling if you're getting hit then you're probably not going to be that long for this world you probably fucked something up. <laughs> it can be useful, I suppose, but I'm not leaving a halfling next to your players normally to, to make that that useful. Diving tackle was great, but relies on the other side dodging. Um, I, I would probably go diving tackle as my first agility skill on any halfling. Okay. I, would, I wouldn't keep him if he had two. He'd have to be sacked, I think. Yeah, fair enough. And then on the doubles... There are some options, aren't there? I mean, the ones I'm looking at here are, you know, wrestle, like we've talked about, is, is, is really... Wrestle would be first skill, I would say. Absolutely. Overblock. Yes, for sure. For the ball-sacking ability, purely. Because mm. you just don't... That reliability, you're still going to get hit by a tackler and killed anyway, isn't it? <laughs> you, you want someone who's going to be able to hit the ball carrier. Um, and ball carriers are almost inevitably going to be block players. Um, and you just need to pop it. Strip ball was great as well. Like if you if you're a wrestle strip baller, boom, 
redonkulous. I mean, I'd almost take strip-ball over wrestle. It depends on your league. If you've got short hands, as, you know, if you're looking at your conference and there's not really anyone who's getting short hands, then, then strip-ball is statistically better than wrestle. Um, but, you know, the wrestle is, has more utility overall. It's just whether you're purely trying to get the ball or not. Strip-ball is definitely better for popping the ball. Yeah. Without a doubt. Because you're, you're popping the ball on, on the pushes. You're popping the ball on the uh, defender stumbles even if they've got dodge. So that, that's the one to go for for the numbers game, I suppose. What do you think about Dirty Player? On I wouldn't ever take it. Say again? I wouldn't ever take it. Even on a slightly later half length? No. Okay, fair enough. I'd, so I disagree. I, I, probably I, think, I think it's a lot of team value. So you're doubling your player to 60k. Yeah, for sure. You're doubling the player on a player who is going to get taken off because he's fouling people. But a 60k dude getting the boot in on a war dancer who's probably much upwards of 100k, that, that's where the value's coming in. I'd rather have, I, I would genuinely rather have someone who's a sneaky git player. <laughs> you heard it here first. Phil loves sneaky git. What about sneaky git on a skeleton? Is that, is that really good? Or as a double, obviously? OP. But I say this because, once again, going back to the overarching tactical theme here, is you want your players on the pitch and you want to get theirs off the pitch. I mean, it sounds super basic, but it's even more important for halflings than it is for any other team. And if your player is fouling every single turn, that's great. And if he's got um, a sneaky git, he's only ever going to get sent off if he's got the armour and he actually does something. Yeah. Dirty player, first foul he does, I don't know, double two. He needs assists. And if you need assists, you're, play, you're pulling players away from the rest of the pitch where they need to be covering territory or assisting other people or helping the trees to then assist on a foul, which there's no guarantee it works. No. Nice. If you've got a double on a sneaky get player, then I'd go dirty player for sure. I mean, and that... Benny's the best player in Blood Bowl, right? Yeah, he's brilliant then, isn't he? Of course he is. Yeah. But yeah, but otherwise, I want, I want to keep my players on the pitch. And the sneaky git player helps me to do that. Because at least I get some kind of reward for being sent off. And the last thing on these dudes, and we'll go on to the catchers and hefties next, is, um, is stat-ups, Phil. Um, I think probably the only stat-up, and this is one of the holy grails. Um, actually, maybe not, but agility first. Agility is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, if you get agility on any half, then you bloody well take it for sure. Because you're catching on a two and you're landing on a three. Dodging everywhere like a motherfucker on a two. It's redonkulous, isn't it? A stunty strength. And that's why when you played in the secret stuff and played with fucking pygmies, you bent cunt. Uh, and to the pygmies who are strength four, uh, stunties. Stunties with agility four, as we know, are broken. It's not strength four, but agile four. Sorry, agility four. Agility four are broken. But actually, I'm looking at it now. Um, what do you think to, to movement as a plus? He's plus six. And I think maybe this, is a, um, maybe this is a legacy. Maybe you're looking at those on catchers more. But you can't guarantee who you're going to roll on. And actually, a movement six halfling for a movement is only, is it 30k? 30k for a mover and arm, armor? I'm trying to think now. Movement is 30k, yeah. 30k. <clears throat> so you're looking at a 60k halfling with movement six. I, I think that probably is still worth it. Yeah. So the, the temptation is, uh, and I think this might be a mistake to be tempted into it, is to look at it on a comparison basis with the catcher. Mm. 
because um, the catcher obviously is costed as he is because it's a positional and there's other aspects that go into the formation of the team which dictate how much they cost. There's only 10k more than the catcher with that movement, isn't it? Yeah, um, and I, I, I think that it's worth it really because you don't have any movement six buddy players. <laughs> <laughs> and actually him with, him with movement six and then if you rolled another skill up, you can easily get sprint and short feet and stuff like that. You'd probably go for sure. four you, feet first. Something like that, that's delicious. Yeah, and then he's only, what, 80k for that? He's starting to become better than a catcher then, isn't he? So yeah, I think you're probably right, aren't you? And it helps, it helps your one-turn touchdown attempts, as we said. Yeah. It's a shame that halflings aren't goblins because goblins are just just better at that landing and running in with that movement six, aren't they? Yeah, your movement six guy probably wouldn't be the one to be thrown, but he'd definitely be the one at the back of the field to try and help pick up the ball and give it to the player, I would say. Yeah, with that movement six. Halflings just need movement, and I think I'd agree with you. Any movement you can take on these dudes, you know, cogs are wearing now, movement on any of these players actually is really effective. Even on a tree man, movement take it because then he can just stand up can't he without a full plus stand up like a normal a normal regular player yeah, we, did, we didn't talk about that it's, it's stat ups I think I'd probably go block over strength but I'd definitely take agility yeah uh, sorry movement movement not agility <laughs> movement <laughs> not agility do not take agility on treatment right Phil the two positionals and how we score these like we said lots of fun in a weird kind of way, probably the catcher develops pretty similar to the standard flings. He's just better at it. This is almost on railroads, I think. Yeah. His first skill has to be sure feet. It so just has to be. Super fast. You mean you, you've got a natural sprint player. You can't not take sure feet and make if, him. If he rolls a double, do you consider block on him or do you still think about the wrestle sort of uh, you know, route? So I, I would go block on the catcher because I'd, I'd want him to be the ball carrier and then he can go short feet and he's like a mobile ball carrier absolutely nice. you, you want your blodgers to be able to obviously stay standing up so block then he gets the normal skills so then he gets uh, short feet another one sidestep um and, but I, th I think absolutely block on your ball carrier nice yeah and, they, and, and the catcher's the guy to do that aren't they mm. So, um, yeah, catchers, um, you're going to go it's relatively similar to the, uh, to the flings in general. Uh, but if you roll a double, you're definitely going to go block, not wrestle. Um, but, yeah, and if he gets a move up, a move six catcher with short feet and then, uh, sorry, sprint, and they can go short feet. Brilliant. Agility catcher, that's a must-take. And tournament builds one, knee build as well. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Incredible player. But none of these flings so far. We're not going to take strength, are we, Phil? We're just not going to take no, strength. I, I wouldn't take strength on anybody. It's just not worth it. What about the hefties? I think one of my favourites now, Phil. Absolutely. I mean, I've got so much time for Fend. Fend! <laughs> uh, and, and the extra armour value makes him so much more survivable. Because with armour value 6, you're going through my armour on, what is it? 41% of the time or something. It's like having a goblin on your team, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's got that passing access, so you can chuck a... So actually, I mean, that's the interesting thing on a fling team, probably in a, in a league build, is if you start with... A, so you say you start with three team rerolls, probably, but, but I'd probably start with two, but, you know, two or three is fine. Uh, but then quite early on, if one of your hefty skills up, you can chuck leader on that guy and then cut a reroll because then you've got... Which is exactly what I did in the DBL. 
Aha. Had the re-rolls, got leader on him, and then I've been the re-roll straight away because I was like... So it's 20k instead of 60k, isn't it? So yeah, exactly right. And if you've got stacks of cash to spend, which you normally do... Um, well, there you go. And the other thing with passing as well, you can take Hail Mary pass. Now, okay. I think Hail Mary is great fun. Um, it's... It's a bit hit it and hope, but that, the name of the fucking skill is Hail Mary Pass, so of course it's going to be. And actually, it's, it's kind of not. Like, it makes your opponent play in a different kind of way because as a halfling, you're looking for the luck anyway. You're looking to try and... Try, mm. And I've talked about this with Gagster and Joe Mangy as well, where often if you're either, and there's two reasons for it, if you're either not as good a player as your opponent, so in terms of, like, as good a coach, um, or you've got a worse team, often you're trying to chuck some of that randomness in to throw your opponent off like either if they're a really competitive player or they've got a good team and Hail Mary Pass does that they've got to think about do I need to have people back like what the fuck's he going to do with this like because you can just chuck it up there and then like what they're going to do about it <laughs> absolutely and you were saying earlier on about how running catches forward on your offense like you you know his kick lands deep like real deep and yeah. you've got like one fling back there or two flings back there and, and the, game, the game turn is at, at an appropriate level where this play will work. Like, the other side doesn't have enough time to, like, to make you pay for giving the ball away. And then you run everybody else, bomb them all forward. And then the next turn after that, you know, you just Hail Mary the pass down there. And then hope, hopefully it sticks. Hopefully someone gets there. I mean, it's... Or, alternatively... You just run it forward, hand it to one of your players by a tree and chuck them instead, you know? Like, just having <laughs> options for it. And that's, that's how I did it, certainly, at the tournament I took them where, and, you know, we differ on our tactics, that's fine. You play more of a grindy up front, and I try and use my agility to get around them. Yeah. And I definitely did that. I chucked at least a catcher, if not both, up each sideline. I had a Hail Mary pass hefty, and twice it was actually one of my uh, catchers had um, sprints, like, uh, sorry, short feet, like we said. The other had diving catch. Um, and, um, and it worked twice out of the four games where a Hail Mary pass went up and landed near enough and I just grabbed it out of the air and he's got plus, he's got plus on the catch as well. Um, no, he's not. He's not an accurate pass. But yeah, um, you know, he can get that out of the air and if he's up there, you can just throw your opponent off if you've got those players up there to grab it and that it works. Yeah, because you, you always want to be at least a double threat, if not a triple threat or a quadruple threat. You want to have options open that your opponent has to think about. So always a player next to a tree. And so he's always thinking, okay, if that player has the ball and he gets flung, am I going to be able to get there? Can I recover the ball? Can I turn him over? And the same again with yours, players down the sides, the actual players making running plays. Do I need to cover here? Do I need to cover there? Hail Mary pass guy in the back. Do I need someone deep to stop him doing that? Cindy Pie Whistle with a bomb. Do I need to move away over here? Do I need to stop clustering together? Anything you can do is just makes your opponent think and second guess what they think you're going to do. Perfect. Yeah. And that's one of the underlying things with the flings in both <laughs> tournaments and leagues is to try and make your opponent play in a way that they're not used to and try yeah. and spread them in a way they're not used to doing. Spread them and make yeah. them work for it. Well, at UKTC in January, we, we played... Um, um, Andy Davo and um, some, another one of Team Wales and some of their friends. Hawker and, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I had the Chaos Dwarf player on their team who I'd never met before and didn't know me. Um, and Andy, I played Andy the year before at UKTC. And so immediately he was telling his mate, like, this guy is no mug. Like, he knows exactly what he's doing with half. <laughs> 
And then I just beat the Chaos Dwarf player like 3-0, so whatevs. Yeah, easy. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> but absolutely, like, you've, got, you've got to be like that. Like Gegster, as you said, and uh, Jay Manji, like, if you know they're a better coach or they've got a better team, add that randomness in. And you've got to be there ready for the surprise attack, you know. No, no one expects the, was it the half-ish interception? Is that what you said? Half-ish interception. Nobody expects the half-ish interception. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, and yeah, that's what happened with me when I took them to an event. I guess one last thing I'd say, Phil, before we uh, move on and talk about uh, the halfling tournament stuff, which um, you become quite famous for in the year of the fling, um, is um, one of the key mistakes that rookies might make is uh, not trimming their team effectively. And we kind of we kind of alluded to it through it. You've got to keep that TV down. Like we start off with the positionals, like you said, and and I think that's fun because you want to get attached to your players and use them and and enjoy mm -hmm. it but but if players are starting to get skills that are just making them extra things that are bloating the team you've got to trim them because you want to also use the stars which is also fun yeah so talking of trimmings start with the trees one skill tree is fine two skill tree i think you probably sack and you hire a new one yeah you should have money in the bank they're 120k you don't want uh a grab guard. grab guard, grab break tackle you just don't want it because that's 40k. If he's got block, different story, but otherwise, trim him. Um, any fling with more than one skill, unless it's a double, get rid. I mean, you might... would you want to keep a halfling who had sprint and surefoot? Maybe. What is that? 70,000 though? 70k? It's a lot, isn't it? Just for a what, half. Moving eight half. Yeah, you probably don't. I don't think you do. <clears throat> yeah, I think I think if you had natural movement, then it's different. Like one of those type of um, skill ups. Um, you wouldn't you wouldn't um, trim a catcher. I wouldn't have thought. No, you usually skill those, don't you? With the sprint, surely. Or dead, because okay. you know you you can have two normal skills on a catcher, and they're brilliant. What a ninety k sidestep, sure feet, brilliant. Yeah. Um, hefties. They're not so easy to skill up, hefties. No. I'd be surprised if you got more than one or two skills. And you're going to be going down the leader route, um, Hail Mary pass route. You, it's just not really going to come up that often. Yeah, and you'd you take leader for sure, I think, on your first one. And then if you got a second normal skill, you'd probably go sidestep because then you're fend yeah. sidestep. Yeah, that's really handy. That's true. Yeah, the hefties are probably in a way, one of the stalwarts of the team that you don't cut and rebuy, which is weird that we're saying that now, considering what we said maybe four or five months ago. And Armour 7 is just really handy, you know? Yeah, that is. And that's the hilarious thing, listeners. We're going to move on to tournaments in a minute, but, you know, Phil started the year of the fling before the flings came out. Um, and so he's, he's an absolute masochist. And then this, this new GW team came out that he's started to take advantage of and it's weird when we discussed it how much has changed in the last five months or so yeah, absolutely great but yeah anything more to add on the league builds Phil before we move on to tournaments no I mean I think uh, league play for halflings is far harder than tournament play I, I think it's really tough to try and um, to get anywhere in a league and you need you need luck on your skills because if you just if you never get those doubles you're always you know you're always going to really suffer i think yeah because you need block on the trees don't you and that's one of the things that we spoke uh, i spoke about with a few of the guests about um 
the DBL format, and I personally hope it changes, but um, we'll see how it goes, where you're stuck with playing four people twice at the moment. And the, the, the two bad things about that is that the DBL is, is this amazing, huge league where there's fucking 60 people playing in it now, probably more, hopefully, as we move out of COVID and stuff. Um, and I want to play as many of those people as I can, but also in the halfling environment, um, if you're a halfling, in a, even if you've only got the one dwarf player, you're playing that dwarf player twice out of your eight games and you're just going to get butt-fucked twice. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the opponents that you face, absolutely. It, it's just a fucking... It makes it really different for stunties, doesn't it? Very difficult opponents, absolutely. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see how they go. I think, I think the way they're moving is to try and open it up because I, I, think, I think we need to do that now. Like the DBL format was initially written for like 16 people playing, you know, <laughs> um, and it's expanded extramentally and it's this huge, exciting league now with so many people playing. And me personally, I just want to play as many as I fucking can, to be honest, and beat them all. <laughs> I quite agree. I, I've always been much more of a fan of the play everybody once format because I like the variety. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I also, I do like, I don't disagree with the play home and away. That's, that's the reason that it stayed as is. But I just think that we're moving away from that now. I think that's where we're going to. Um, we'll see how it goes. Right, listeners, we'll take um, another break here and then come back and talk about the Halfling Tournament Bill. The Sean. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Talk Nuffle podcast, where we're going to do the final segment of the Halfling race review, probably the most important race review you can ever listen to um, on any podcast, anywhere. Uh, let's talk about tournaments, Phil. And you've done all right, haven't you, over this year? You've had some frustrations, some tears, yeah. but you've come through it. So yeah, so I've, I've just looked up my, my Halfling stats. So for the year, I played 39 tournament games of Blood Bowl with Halflings. Nice. I don't know if there's many Halfling coaches out there in the NAF that have played more games than me. I mean, there must be some, I'm sure, but from looking at those who are ranked, uh, I can't really see any. Um, so my, ratio, my record from those 39 games was a 55% win ratio. 39 touchdowns for, 34 against. So an average of one touchdown a game I score. Um, and my record was 17 wins, nine draws, 13 losses. Wow. That's so pretty not bad. bad at all. And if we consider that I think four of those losses came from Willow Rosebark and the Pearly Kings and Queens tournament that I took her to. They should have been also wins, but yeah. It could have been even better. But yeah, I mean, my, my NAF ranking for Halflings is fourth in the world. The three players above me haven't played Halflings in years. Um, and they're ones where it appears like they took them to maybe one or two tournaments and had like one really great tournament. And then that's put their rankings up, you know, um, unusually high. Because you have to get obviously lots of games in normally. But if you just do really well in very few games, then your rankings go pretty high. Um, and then I don't think the Glico rankings are up to date, but I would hope to be at the top or very near the top of those if they work. I don't know. But yeah, so it's fair to say 
I've played a lot of games of Halflings and I've done all right, I think. Had some fun as well, haven't you? I've had a lot of fun, yeah. I mean, um, interestingly, my fun with the Halflings really increased when I'd actually finished painting the team as well. Yeah. There's a definite correlation then with, because I was, I was oh, it took me so long, but it took me the whole year to paint them really. Didn't quite get them um, in terms of like having a, a display base and a few extra star players ready for the World Cup. Yeah, but, that display base really fucked you, didn't it? Yeah, I felt like I was vindicated though at the UKTC when, of course, got best painted there, which was a big accolade, I thought, among all the UK um, championship there. But yeah, so my build really got distilled down into what is essentially my halfling team now um, that, that I would always take. And it's always going to be, if skill set allows, two block trees. And usually um, the halflings get that sort of Two, two doubles um, plus some stuff, maybe three, but you're going to have at least those two doubles. Yeah, I, I think it'd be a really stingy tournament set that didn't allow you two doubles. You, you come a cropper with those ones where they treat everybody equally. So the Bill Bow Blood Bowl tournament gives everybody exactly the same opportunity for skills. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> complete nightmare, but I would have taken them anyway for that. But yeah, so I always take two block trees. I always take deep root. So that gives me my, my foundation for offense, defense, all three trees, all with block on the line. And that is a nightmare for any team in the game to deal with. There's no, there's no easy way to get around with three block trees. Um, and then in terms of other star players, if the money stretched far enough um, and golden stars were allowed, I'd take Captain Colander. Mm-hmm. Because just Captain Colander is just unbelievable. Um, and then in terms of um, positionals, I'd take both of the catchers. Um, if there was an agility option, I'd take agility on one of the catchers. Otherwise, I'd just take sure feet on both of them, just to use up some of the normal skills. Because what you'll find is that you've often got a surplus of normal skills. A plethora of them to get yeah. around. And often halfling coaches make the mistake of like just going, oh, well, I'll give this one sidestep and oh, I'll give that one a jump up and I'll give that one this and that one that without ever really having some kind of overarching plan or using them to the best of their abilities. So they'll both get um, sure feet. Normally, I can only afford one hefty. Um, so the one hefty becomes the leader caddy. Um, then I would take halflings to take the team to 14 players. Mm -hmm. And I'd be very reluctant, I think, to go into a tournament with less than 14. And you pretty much, do you take the chef as well, if you can? Yep. So chef should be there as well. He's, 100, he's 100k, isn't he, for the halfling? That's right, yeah. yeah. So, um, chef should be there. And then probably, I think my normal build would be two re-rolls. Yeah. So two re-rolls, leader and a chef which gives me plenty of re-rolls to keep the trees mobile, to keep the block trees blocking every single turn of the game. Because yeah. then if they're just pounding, 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 then, you know, um, I can do a lot of damage to a lot of people. Love a bit of pounding. That, that would probably be my build. Hmm, no, I like it. And, and that scales up and down. Um, do you struggle in like a 1.1? Uh, usually stunties get a bit more, but does that fit into that? It does, yeah. I mean, it, the basis is always going to be the two block trees and deep root. Anything else is just gravy on top of that. Any extra doubles are going to go on normal flings and they're going to be wrestle or block. Hmm. So um, the World Cup uh, last year, 
I, I had a lot of fun there with my final skill package because it starts off small and then it grows over the three days. And by the third day, I had my two block trees, of course, with deep root. I then had two block flings uh, and a wrestle fling and an edge four fling. Okay. And, I, and that was just brilliant. Like the, the, the block flings. Uh, just to caveat it, that you couldn't get positionals there, could you? The World Cup was the old roster without. Team, exactly, yeah. Um, and so it was fantastic because have, having like extra blodge players, of course, is a complete godsend for the team. And it just makes you so much harder to, to take down. And with that team, I'm always going to be hitting somebody with the trees every turn, trying to corral you, trying to push you to one side, trying to block you in. They're gonna, the trees are all going to be screening far apart. Like I said, if one tree takes root, we'll re-roll it, and then the other tree won't do anything. But Deep Root's always there, and he's always going to be able to do stuff. And what you'll find is that opposing coaches then have to feed Deep Root. They have to feed him to stop him doing stuff. Because you can't, on the other side, you can't really allow him to move wherever he likes. Um, and then I play the running game with the halflings. So run to the middle of the field with the trees. Try and bash your way forward a few squares with the trees if you can, keeping everybody relatively safe. Forcing the opposing player to try and commit players round the back or onto one side to try and spread them out to then make some space somewhere else on the pitch that you can then move forward. And you try and get to the stage where you can then break out with your halflings and make a proper run for it, but screen appropriately with extra players or indeed with the trees. Or, um, or throw a player if needed. Yeah. Throw a teammate is always an option that's available to you, isn't it? It's a bit of a last gasp, but it's always there for you. And it's nice to have options in Blood Bowl, for sure, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Um, and I think most of, most of my results are going to be like 1-0 wins to me, where I'll, I'll shut them out and then I'll, I'll do a turn eight. Because I, I play almost like a two, uh, like a, a grind with them, I suppose, like you do with a normal Blood Bowl team. I play halflings a bit like I would do a normal team. Mm. Interestingly. Try and grind it in. Well, listeners, I mean, I've got, um, I've got a little bit of an alternative build. And um, we chatted before about the strengths and weaknesses of, uh, and initially it was Morg. So I took Morg to, um, <coughs> to the Bromley Summer Brawl last summer. Actually, I did all right with him. I, I got a 1-1-1. One, 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 so I won, it's only three games. So I won 1-1, one, one, drew one, lost one. Beat Dark Elves, actually. And then drew with uh, Chris White, who was the organizer with his Underworld. He actually had Morg as well in his Underworld. So he had a Morg off. It's quite fun. Uh, drew with him, and I can't remember who I lost against now, but I had a 1-1-1 anyway. Um, and, um, yeah, and I just really enjoyed the mobility that Morg brings to the team because he's so much quicker than Trees. And we've had a debate before about, um, you know, the, the cost versus reward analysis. And I think that Bob um, really brings a new dynamic to this discussion, um, the, the debate that we've had. And I'll just chuck this, uh, this roster at you now. Um, and, again, I always caveat this, listeners, with... Um, you know, take the builds that make sense to the tournaments with the, um, the allowances and the rosters and whatever, you know, skills you can take that make sense for you. So this particular roster, I'll give it to you now. In a 1.1 build, you can get Bob, Bob Bifford for 380k. And we've already gone through his stats. He's, he's pretty good for that 380k. You can get the double tree. Probably you're going to block both of those up. So the double block tree. You can get all four positionals and whatever skills you want to give those. We've talked about it already. And then flings up to 13 players, including Bob. So you've only got 13, not 14, like Phil's been talking about. And that is 1.1 on the nose. So you've not got a, you've not got a chef. 
But then if you're looking at a 1.2 build, like perfectly, Chef fits in there immediately and, and 1.2, I think that fits in perfectly. So that's sort of the debate you have of, is it worth it in a 1.1? Because you can only get, and in that build, listeners, I've only got one re-roll. So I've got one re-roll and a leader caddy. So that's two re-rolls to start with before the Chef comes in. But yeah, Bob, for that mobility, with two re-rolls, and then if you can fit the Chef in a 1.2, I think that's, that's got some merit to it. Yeah, no, definitely. <clears throat> only, only weakness I can see there is going to be 13 players rather than 14. You're never going to lose some. But Bob Bifford's much more mobile than a deep root. But he, he can still get marked the same unless you're willing to um, break tackle. Break tackle. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's definitely a viable build. I'd be very interesting to see how it goes. Because, of course, he's strength six, which is massive as well. So he's still battering other big guys, isn't he? I mean, that's the big, th- the big debate we've had before with Morg is I've always said, oh, well, Morg's got agility three, so he can still dodge away, you know, you can, you can make stuff happen, but it's still a three plus. But mm. Bob can dodge away on a two plus. So I think that actually changes the debate a little bit. He is pretty mobile. Yeah, yeah you can roll that one, but you can still dodge away and move him around. You're not, you're not going to ball carry with Bob, though, are you, which you might do with Morg? No, that's true. That's a good point. Because you'd be inclined to bash away up the pitch with him when you pick up the ball and then on your bike. With the morgue build, yeah, but Bob has got Bob. Remember, has got piling on as well, so he's got block, minus oh, yes, and piling on. So he's going to really, really kick the shit out of people. Yeah, and he—he's another no negatrate big guy, which is great. Oh, sorry, I'm looking at his skills now. He hasn't got piling on. I've lied. He's no. got great tackle. He's got juggernaut. Sorry, he's got juggernaut. Um, I so that, he had piling on as well, though. I thought he did as well. Yeah, no, I'm—I'm I'm lying. He's got juggernaut and he's got multiple block. That's the other one he's got with strength six, which, which can come up, but it's not as effective. I lied. But yeah, the, the juggernaut, break, tackle, block combination. I think this is a, a roster I would like to take. I've got to paint up my fling team and, and go for it. Yeah, so, so I, I guess the difference with that and my TV 1100 halfling build would be if we, if we lost Bob Bifford and went down to deep root, that you would save us Okay, And then I'd probably turn a, a, a hefty into a normal fling. And then that would give me the 100K for the chef. Yeah, so you can get that into 1.1. I mean, I, I do think, yeah, I do think I would take this in 1.2. And I think I'd have 13 players in the chef. And I'd look at using it in that build. I don't think I'd take it to a 1.1 build. I don't think it's good enough. I think deep root is better if you're going to then have the chef, probably. But yeah. I'd be very interested to see how he did, though. Worth a try, certainly. I've got to do a Bob Biffer conversion. I don't like the idea of having him with a Mohawk. I think Morg has the Mohawk. I think I'm going to have to do... I think you use the, uh, the Ogre um, standard Ogre human model guy and convert him up a little bit, probably, to make him into... Yeah. A- I mean, you, you look at all of the, um, the pictures of Bob Bifford in the comic books at the back, though. And I, I don't think he ever has a Mohawk in any of the Spike magazines, does he? No, the, the, the thing that uh, Bob Bifford has is he's got that, you know, that breathing nose uh, thing that you've got, nose guard that you've got over your nose. He's always yeah, got that. Yeah, the old, the old plaster type thing. So I think if I converted a Bob Bifford, I would take the ogre miniature and I would put the plaster over his nose. Um, and then I'd probably just sculpt a leather jacket over him to make him more of like an old school Bob because I think that would make him quite obviously Bob Bifford. I think that's where just, just sculpting a jacket is for a, for a sculptor who's, got you know even basic reasonable ability it's not too difficult to do over the ogre miniature i think that could work feasible, certainly. say again it's definitely possible to do it <laughs> definitely possible to do um but yeah i mean the miniature that they've got so the the sort of 
cartoony picture they've got on the card is basically, he basically looks like Morg. And I think they've suggested, oh, use the Morg miniature and just, you could, I mean, you could take Morg and sculpt the nose piece over it for sure. It's a slightly worse quality drawing though, isn't it? They've clearly changed artists at some point and then the yeah. newest isn't as good. I don't think, it's interesting we talked about it, uh, Phil. I don't think that Bob Bifford is supposed to be the young Bob Bifford because they talk about the young Bob Bifford basically kicking the shit out of Morg. Um, and I think, I think this is the older, slight, maybe the end of his career, Bob Bifford, because he all, basically in the fluff, um, it says that Bob Bifford beat the shit out of a young Morg. So I think he probably was stronger, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe the younger Morg was weaker. Anyway. Could be. So um, in terms of other halfling builds, we, there's obviously the Kara Zara build. Yeah, that's, been, that's quite effective for some people, isn't it? If you can take the two strength four pieces. How do you fit that one in? Oh, well, I, I have no idea. <laughs> well, one, uh, we can work it out on the air mate uh, one of them's 270 and one of them's 220 yep. so basically uh, getting both in. And, and then if you were to take two trees that's 240 so that's going to be 710 one re-roll for, um, for 790 um, and then you've got to get flings up to the 11 and then you can work out what you can get from there so you're looking at the Zara builds I've seen have always been quite light on players, like maybe 11, 12 players, really. Well, I think 790 plus nine flings is a nine times three, so that's 270. So that's, what, 990, uh, 1,060 already. And that's like, that's, so that's a one reroll, so you're 1,060. So then you can, you can get um, the two positionals, so probably two catchers. No, actually, probably a catcher and a hefty brings you to 1.1. Yeah, um, and you can get the chef, and you've got hefty for leader and one catcher. That's probably the build, isn't it? For one point one two, effectively. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you'd play it to be honest. I've not played against anybody using it, um, so one would assume that you're much more mobile. You take blodges, you kind of scream with Zara and Kara. Flings run along with those two, and they kind of clear the path, and then you remain a bit more mobile. I don't know. I mean, again, I would just take one of the big, personally, me personally, I'd take one of the big guys instead, Bob or, uh, mm -hmm. or Morg, if you're going to go for that route. But the, the double strength four, I've never seen anyone do as well as you, Phil, with a fling set. I'm not sure if it works, if it works effectively. Um, but yeah, the two strength four, the two block trees, um, like I said, we've got a few fewer players. Well, you've got two stars. You've got 13 players, basically, haven't you? Um, yeah. yeah, I think it could work. I could see it making sense, but um, it's not something I would go for, but that's the build you would go for. I definitely saw one build as well where they had Zara, Carla, and then every skill they took was a double because it was a, a one where you paid extra for double skills and you could take as many as you like as a fling coach. And every single double they took was just block on flings. So by the end, by the end of the tournament, they had like nine blodgers. <laughs> Redonkulous. <laughs> I don't think they did that well, though, but, like, I don't know. It's, it's, it strikes me as one of those combinations which could be quite effective, but against a good coach, I think you're going to be – you're going to find it really difficult, I think, because – Yeah, I just don't think Zara and Kara have got enough support from the shit strength two flings to make it effective. That's my problem. It's not, it's not difficult to get a hit on Zara and Kara, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And if you go down, then well, somebody's sticking a boot in. I think I think the three 
the three high strength pieces is the way I'd go. Like whether that's deep root or the more mobile, more Bob kind of build. Yeah. I go. It just provides so many problems for so many opponents. Yeah, no, yeah. Nobody likes three trees or three big guys. And I, I just think as well that you've got to, you've got to build on, on like a, a strength in the team, not not in the physical sense, but like in terms of what your team is good at. And I, I don't, I don't know if Kara and Zara really make any other aspect of the team better no i think i think they just people take them because you can like so i can take both of them good and they're good together but i don't know if taking zara and Kara makes the rest of the halfling team any better no i think you're probably right whereas deep root makes other trees better by being a force multiplier and just you know three trees is infinitely worse than two it's not it's not just you know the same again it's a, a much bigger problem having more of them like that yeah and the dark elf player i played where i had morgue and the two trees was just a huge huge problem for him like yeah. he was like i don't really know what to do against this because dark elves aren't quite mobile enough i think i would play wood elves and we all know that the super edge teams the union and wood elves and skaven are probably a huge huge problem for dark elves but uh, halflings but dark elves just weren't quite quick enough to get around me and i just jammed my trees in yeah absolutely right um phil have you got anything more to add on the halflings and tournaments or halflings in general before we draw this podcast to a close i don't i don't think so um i mean the sports giants come out maybe the sports giant um yeah i mean that's in one of the other spikes isn't it i mean i think we can probably talk about that on a future podcast um about because he came out in the ogre spike mm-hmm. didn't he we can talk about sports giants now. Why not? I mean, the sports giant, just in terms of for a halfling build, is 400k as an inducement. Mm-hmm. So once again, he's in that. He's cheaper than uh, Morgue. Um, I think the sports giant could be very interesting, and I think I'd rather take a sports giant than Bob Bifford. The reason I say that is just because he's so motherfucking big. <laughs> four squares and in, in terms of playing the um area denial and the, the positional game that's massive and he's got great tackle and he can walk over prone players and he moves six yeah size does matter doesn't it phil i'm not sure i'd block with him that much because he hasn't got block <laughs> and i think he's got really stupid or something else but I don't know if there's um, if the if the um, the TV was high enough, then I would love like say so like a TV thirteen hundred tournament or something. Then you can you can damn well sign me up for deep root giant two trees, because that that would just be absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he hasn't. I don't think I'm just looking at the stats now. I don't think he's got um, stupid. He's got oh, he's got one of them. It might be bonehead. He has got, he's looking at the picture now. Um, ooh, oh, this is shit dead. No, yeah, he's got um, always hungry and bonehead. That's right. So he's got the sort of, um, the kind of ogre and then plus always hungry for the throne. So yeah, but he has got juggernaut and um, multiple block on strength seven. Um, he's a sporting giant and that's the biggest side of him. That's why we call him the sports giant. I'm going to stand firm. And I think they've chucked stand firm because they're hoping that no one's ever going to like push him back because that creates huge problems for the game and mechanics. <laughs> well, I, I just want to see an opponent's face when I set up my four players on a line of scrimmage and it's block tree, deep root, giant, block tree. Yeah. 
the four big D's. What the fuck are they going to do? Yeah, you're like, okay. Come at me, bro. Yeah, seven hundred k. I mean, if you've got a if you've got a, a halfling team flying low under a thousand k, that's not um, that's not impossible to build in. <laughs> you can definitely get it. Yeah, t- t- certainly in league play, hey. You know, by the end of the GBL, when some teams are flying in at like sixteen hundred, seventeen hundred k, you can definitely build it in. Yeah. Yeah, you just like just you know uh, cull a whole load of your team, all of these halflings of one skill, and be like, see you later. Hire in the replacements. Sports giant. Bring them in as journey flings. Who cares? Oh, I love it, mate. And I love the sports giants. And it's a real shame that um, the backbreaker is not happening this year because we were going to have a plethora of sports giants at the backbreaker, weren't we? Would today have been the backbreaker. Um, yeah, it would. Literally. Oh, fucking hell. I know, crazy. It's that we're recording this right now when otherwise we would be shit-faced in East London. At the backbreaker with sports giants all over the pitch, it'd be great. Yeah, because we don't we don't call them slave giants in Albion. No, we call them sports giants. We are equal opportunities employers here. Because we oh, we'd have seen some great builds for backbreaker. Because three hundred k for your sports giant as well. Mm, makes a huge that's, difference. It's a, it's a must take, isn't it? You know. Yeah. And I had some cool conversions in the back in my back pocket, but you know we'll see the backbreaker next year. We'll see the sports giants. It's basically like the world has been paused for a year, and uh, we'll all come back next year, won't we? Everyone's just decided to write twenty twenty off, haven't they? Yeah, make a not a thing. I mean, I'm going to try and do. Um, I'm going to try and do four out bowl as soon as it's safe, and um, you know, even if it's only twelve, you know, a dozen people, twenty people who want to come and play, as soon as rule zero opens, we'll we'll try and run it. It's supposed to be in July. Um, I can see that being pushed, but we'll, we'll we'll see how it works out and see if it if it makes sense and it's responsible to do so. Are sports giants available on Fumble yet? No, they've not uh, brought them into the um, the coding yet, but uh, hopefully they will be soon. But the rest of the new uh, teams and positionals, etc., are all on there. Yeah, absolutely. The the new halfling team, all the new positionals, all that bits and bobs are on it. Oh, glorious! It's great, isn't it? Right, Phil. I think that's the end of the Halfling podcast. I think we'll draw it to a close here. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure to be back on the podcast with you, Tom. It's been nice to have my co-host back. I've not been a one-man band trying to draw it out of guests. <laughs> so we, we, we're going to do the vampire one soon, though, yeah? Yeah, definitely the vampires and probably the humans together as well. I think where you can come and interview me about the humans. Indeed, absolutely. I, I can do the introductions then, too. Perfect. Right, Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Talk Nuffle podcast. We've got to do the posh accent. Prince of pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> right, ladies and gents, uh, we'll, we'll draw stumps here. Thank you very much for listening. And like I said, the Prince of Pleasure will be back soon. <laughs> Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>